Saturday episode of the program. The phones, if you want to join us, they're open, of course. The number is 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. It's Ian and Captain here as normal on our Saturday night, but Peoples Mountaineer is out. Did you just call me normal? <laughs> Usual? Uh, you, okay, standard, that's fine. Standard episode? Regular? Standard edition? Uh, uh, free Talk Live? Our normal uh, other guy, uh, who's also your usual co-host on Beard Talk Live, which will not be happening later tonight because of his absence, is Peakless Mountaineer. He is at a poker tournament tonight, which just so happened to... I hope he wins. Yeah, well, if he does, he gets a full set of New Hampshire goldbacks as the prize, which is uh, pretty Circa what year? I don't know. The That's current a great ones question. Or the, like I, I think the it's classic the original ones. one. Yeah, 2021. The, the 2019 or, or whatever it was? Probably the first 2021. ones? Well, no, no. New Hampshire didn't exist in 2019 as a goldback. Uh, so gold 2020 backs, is the first? I think there's a limited print of 2020 New Hampshire. I ask because I have some 2020s and I think I have... Hold on to those. I then. think I have a full set, but I, yeah. and I only know this because I recently got my South Dakota set. Oh yeah, and so I've been collecting. Whenever they release a new state, I just buy. Before we keep going on Goldbacks, which I'm happy to do, I want to introduce our guest host because Peakless Mountain is out, (laughs) and it just happened to open up a slot for uh, David Hathaway, the sheriff from uh, Santa Cruz County, Arizona, who has been a, I would say, regular-ish caller on the show. Uh, welcome, David. Great to have you. Yeah, good evening, uh, Ian and Captain. Yeah, I didn't even know the Goldbacks had a year. I just knew the different states. You oh, know, yeah, like, yeah. You know, uh, Utah and, and you know, uh, Nevada, I think. Well, if you're going to make uh, a, you know, a gold product or a silver product, you might as well stamp a year on it because then you get that collectible value right. factoring into it. Uh, what do they call it? Numismatic, I think, is, Numismatic, what, that's, right. uh, and is what that's This called. is exactly what's happened to Goldbacks, mm-hmm. too. Is like uh, They've changed the design on a couple of states from the original issue for that state. And yeah, also, they like punched it up, right? And also put a year of issue on the Goldbacks. So if you have the original, what was the first year of the Utah? 2019, I 2019 Utah yeah. Goldbacks. Like that design is different than the 2022, 2023 Goldback. So if you have a set of the originals, they're worth more because of the collectible value, because of the the date stamp on them, and also the difference in design. Oh, I wonder, are there any other states in the offing that are planned to you know to come along next, or so maybe we don't know. None of us work for Goldback officially, but and they um, don't sponsor us, and we talk no. about them incessantly. Yeah, but they don't need to. <laughs> no, you know, they don't. They, they are so popular just by they've word of got mouth. their own problems with not being able to keep up with demand. Yeah, they've had to open up new production facilities, and it just the production just keeps. I mean, it, the demand is crazy. So to answer your question, the way it works, as I understand it is if you want a state, say Arizona, for instance, to become a gold-back state, it has to be sponsored. There has to be somebody who comes up with X amount of dollars to put into buying gold to, to produce gold-backs for that state. And the formula, I don't know exactly what it is, but it, it's based on population. So a low-population state like a South Dakota isn't going to cost as much as a heavier populated state like i presume arizona is probably a you know few multiples of of south dakota i don't know offhand what the the population is down there um so the more population the more expensive the the production run is going to be and so the more 
somebody has to have you know, some the, deep pockets. The more, the more years the goldbacks are out there, I get happier and happier because there's no way to pull them back. You know, it's just precious metal. Just like when Roosevelt tried to take in the gold coins, um, a whole bunch of them survived. You know, mm-hmm. it's, right. not, it's not really trackable. You know, it doesn't have a number, a code associated well, with it. Well, they actually it. do have numbers associated with them, but, I mean, they're not trackable in a sort of the traditional sense. You don't know where... Yeah. X one two three four happens to be at any given moment, but they are each gold back is assigned a unique number. At least uh, it's not like a mutual fund or a stock fund where they're reporting right. to the government. You know your gains and losses and your trades and all that. It's just kind of exactly. once it's there, it's it's out there in the public. And I'm so glad that something hasn't happened like that happened to the was it the peace dollar and Liberty Ev- dollar Liberty yeah. dollar in oh. Evansville, Indiana. They had the, the Ron Paul's image on on that where. I guess there's still got to be some of those out there, but I think before the big release could happen, they got raided by the feds, and they that kind of shut that down. Well, the, the Liberty Dollar was, uh, was Bernard von Nothaus. Bernard von Nothaus. He was the founder. Uh, he used to work with the Hawaiian Mint, so like you know, he knew his stuff when it came to minting silver pieces and things like that. Uh, it was around for about a decade before they shut it down. I think it started in 1998. It rose to being the most used or the most dollar value or whatever they they were like the biggest alternative currency in the united states yeah at the time when they existed goldback has by the way eclipsed that so the and i don't remember what the numbers were but it was something like five million dollars worth of uh the liberty dollar was in quote-unquote circulation now we know most of it was just sitting in somebody's safe or in their drawer or whatever they weren't usually circulating that often but that's how much had been minted that's how much had been purchased that that kind of thing and i think goldbacks are like doubling or tripling or quadrupling that or something already after just half less than half a decade at this point whereas uh liberty dollar took a lot longer and there yeah. are reasons for that um you know the goldback is just more useful i mean it's uh it's a one By far yeah, yeah it's one one thousandth of an ounce of gold and it's uh, for listeners that have not seen this, please go to goldback.com, check it out, get yourself one of these They're things gorgeous. from the, the various different dealers uh, that are out there that offer them. And you will, I, I think you'll fall in love with it. And that's why, again, they, they don't have to advertise this thing. But to be able to pull out what is essentially a $4 worth of gold, that's that tends to be what they're trading at uh, right now, and you know, buy some eggs or buy some milk or, or whatever, you just can't do that even with an ounce of silver because silver is just, you know, an ounce of silver is 25 bucks, and there's only so much that you can do with that. So having it that fractional gold and it's just so attractive with the artwork on it i mean I, we could go on forever about the the beauty yeah you know things. as far as i know where we live in arizona is not in a, a community or an economy where they accept them readily or at least i'm not familiar with businesses but we tr- do try to give them out yeah. okay you know, how does that go birthday presents mm-hmm. and people look at it and it's kind of self-explanatory because mm-hmm. it'll say on it if you give them the one denomination it'll say one one thousandth of an ounce of gold right. And, you know, you can explain it to them, but they it's not something they're going to throw away once they understand what it is, you know, that it's actual gold. Yeah, if there's ever any kind of correcting that needs to be done, it's some people will see the one and they'll think, oh, it's a $1 gold back. Yeah. No, 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 this is worth more than that. <laughs> and they're that. kind of dodging some of the bullets that, that uh, came about with the the uh, liberty dollar where right. well, trying to not use any of the lingo that sounds that's intentional if yes, you've very uh, intentional if you've listened to, well at uh pork fest this year uh, it wasn't jeremy it was uh ben 
uh, yep. from Goldback was mm-hmm. there. And uh, he was on Free Talk Live. He sat down mm-hmm. you know, with, with us, but he Great also guest. gave a, a couple other talks while he was there. And in one of them, he went into great detail about how they have researched things like the Liberty Dollar and every other attempt at some sort of alternative currency. And this is why with the Goldbacks, uh, the denominations are different, right? Mm-hmm. So there's the one, the five, the 10. They skip 20 and go right to 25 oh, yeah. before wow. they go yeah. to 50. Right. They've changed part of the design changes on some of the older goldbacks uh, for the new ones are they changed some of the language that's written on the goldback itself. So there used to be language that said something like uh, spendable currency or something like that. Mm-hmm. And now it's like uh, gold spendable instrument or something like that. They changed yeah. the language slightly uh, on the printing of the goldbacks as well because they're trying to stay ahead of that curve. They yep. know that if they ever get pegged by the government as trying to compete with the actual dollar right. that, you know, government's going to come in, raid them, shut them down, you know, all the force and the violence that's involved with that, just like they did. With, we saw what happened uh, here, yeah. The Liberty yeah. Dollar and, and, you know, what they're trying to do with cryptocurrency now and that kind they of thing. They went after him for uh, counterfeiting, by the way, right. if I recall correctly. Right, because it was called the Liberty Dollar. dollar. Right. They yeah. used the same lingo that they, and so, like, Goldback is being smart, or at least trying to be smart about it, that's not to say that and the government can't come in and do whatever the heck it is they sure. want to if they decide that it is competition and just, like, shut them down anyway. But they are giving it their all to try and be in front of this curve. And They've, the numbers could all be articulated as this is a bullion weight. You know, it's a bullion instrument. Right. And so, yeah. In fact, the, uh, the 2022 edition of the New Hampshire Goldback, I have yet to see the redesigned 2023. I don't know if they have come out yet. Um, but it says specie legal tender instrument right. at the top. Uh, so, and, and when I actually met the Goldback founder in 2019, I was in Nevada at the Freedom Fest. I don't know if you've ever attended. I, I, was, I met have. him there and okay. oh, nice. at, at that Freedom Fest. At yeah. 2019. Um, I believe it was 2019. We were at the yeah. same event. Didn't even, <laughs> yeah. didn't even meet each other. Uh, but, uh, uh he, uh, and it, and a, a conference of a bunch of neocons, as it turned out, you know, like, was, I, you know, I don't know if it was half and half, but there was a good chunk of, of voluntarist, anarchist, libertarian types. It yeah. might have been like 75, 25 or something like that. There were a lot of uh, the freedom people there. Mm. Um, but, you know, when I met Jeremy Corden, who's the founder of Goldback, he at the time had only created the ones and the fives. He didn't, you know, he'd had designs for the rest, but they hadn't been made yet. So yeah. that's how early on it was. The, the thing hadn't really come out. He was just kind of shopping it around. He didn't have a booth at that time. And now they've become like the number one sponsor of Freedom Fest. With I, I, I've not been to Freedom Fest in years because I'm yeah. not allowed to leave New Hampshire. Uh, but they get like a massive booth now. And they're, of course, a top sponsor at Pork Fest. I was going to say well. they did the same thing at Pork Fest yeah. this year. They went from like a smaller but yet high traffic booth to yeah. like a big booth down by On the, the fire. main area. Yeah. yeah. So they, you know, uh, up their game, if you will. They've had a tremendous, you know, rise in popularity anyway i had brought up the liberty dollar to jeremy during our interview because you know, this thing's amazing i definitely want to ask him questions and, you know learn more about it and he was well aware of the liberty dollar and what yeah. had happened to the with liberty dollar with the government raiding their vault taking god knows how much gold and silver from them the ron paul pieces as you uh, yeah. you mentioned and uh, he said you know very specifically they learned those lessons from the Liberty Dollar, and they were not going to duplicate the failures of the the Liberty Dollar. And there were a lot of things that Liberty Dollar didn't really do that well. 
uh, that Goldback has absolutely done so, so well. Part. I but mean, of course, the thugs and the tyrants can come up with new rationale they and can. new arguments and just start calling it something, money laundering sure. or inciting civil unrest, you know, not to give anybody any ideas, but, you know, they can just come up with a totally new bogus argument and and come rage you anyway. Well, the good news about, uh, and you're absolutely right about that, but at least the good news is the gold business has been around for a long time, right? So there's been people selling various different types of gold for many decades. Certainly they can change the game and change the rules, but at least there's some track record there. Whereas with Bitcoin, as we learned with the Crypto 6 case, they can just say Bitcoin is a commodity or they can say it's a security or they can say it's yeah. money or or funds or whatever. Whatever it is that's convenient for them, they're saying it. And that way they can bring prosecutions against people like me and Aria and some of the rest of our friends. And they can also bring civil cases quote unquote, against people like Library, these companies and these designers, bring criminal charges against the Tornado Cash designers. I mean, it doesn't matter what Bitcoin actually is, which is, of course, code. It's freedom of speech. It is ones and zeros. Somebody wrote some words down and turned and, it into a program. And it's a new technology, right? Yeah. It's like it's like the government is trying to shoehorn cryptocurrency into laws made for broadcast radio. Yeah. yeah, well, basically. <laughs> right, because they're like, well, we know it's not really radio, but people can upload stuff to it. And so if they can upload a podcast or a radio show to the cryptocurrency blockchain thing, mm-hmm. then it must be broadcast. Like, they can say it's whatever they want yeah. because it's misunderstood as a technology, or at least government refuses to define it. Yeah, yeah. it may be purposely misunderstood. Oh, I think or- so. Yeah. No, I think that they refuse to define it on purpose for the express mm-hmm. uh, you know, purpose of prosecuting people at will. You know, speaking of ARIA, when I was driving from Boston yesterday in the middle of the night, I saw a sign that said Devons, mm-hmm. and I just wondered, is that the same as the Devons FMC? Is that on the way? Is that between here and Boston? Probably, honestly, I've never thought, been. Well, so maybe I, I'd I can't stop say. in for a visit on the way back, but I don't know. I just saw the you word have Devons to be and that approved. was approved. So oh, okay. going to federal prison as a visitor is completely different than going to like a, a state facility, as I understand it. Um, now, different states may be different, but at least up here, if you just you know go online, you can schedule an appointment and go see anybody you want to see that's in the the system. But there, in federal prison. Aria has to basically put you on a list. Oh, okay. So you would have to fill out a form, and then they'd have to approve you. And so, unfortunately, it is not something that can be done in you know twenty four hours. <laughs> I don't okay. even know how many weeks you need for that one, but yeah, they don't make it easy. We do have a uh, a host who goes and visits on a regular basis. Nikki does, yeah. Nikki, yeah. yeah. And uh, some of her friends from Domino's go on a right. pretty much a weekly basis to go see her. So at least she is seeing some you know real life people. Uh, for those that don't know, we're talking about Aria Demezzo. Her website, Aria Demezzo, D-I-M-E-Z-Z-O.com. There's instructions there on how you can write to Aria. Please write her a letter. And I think that's what we need to change the live read over to from talking about writing a letter to the judge to talking about writing letters to Aria. Yeah. You know, it's nice to get letters while you're in uh, in jail. Uh, let's see. Goldbacks. I think we covered. I think we covered that. South Dakota just came out. So yeah, you know, check nice. check those out. The artwork looks great. You've gotten the whole set, Captain. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Whenever they release a new state, I just like I started with the Utah ones. Yeah. And I bought like a whole set as soon as it was you know a thing. 
And I'm like, okay. And I bought several sets, actually, because mm-hmm. I was getting them for under market value. Uh, and then I was turning around and, and selling them for, you know, a little bit of fee on top of it, right? So I was making a little bit uh, selling full sets, right? I wasn't selling individuals. Occasionally, I'd sell individuals. But really, I was I, mm-hmm. I had a way of packaging them in a nice little sleeve. And you put the whole set in one. It's all stacked yeah, nicely cool. and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so I was providing a little added value there. Uh, but it started with the Utahs and then the New Hampshires and then, I'm sorry, no, Nevada, uh, Nevada and then the New Hampshire and then uh, Montana and now South Dakota. Wait, is Wait. there a Montana one? Yeah. Oh, I forgot about them. Yeah. <laughs> so I've got a set of, every time they release a new state, I buy a set for my, okay. my personal collection. Yeah. And then depending on what the price is, if I think that there's some value in buying multiple sets, I might do that. But I didn't with this one. I just bought the, hmm. the one set. Uh, So we're going to talk more about money coming up here in a little bit with an update on what's been happening in Nigeria. It's a story we covered months ago on this program. The E-Naira. Where there were massive, I don't even know if protest is the right word, let's call it riots, massive riots. Oh, there were, people got shot. Yeah, people smashing bank buildings, uh, destroying bank ATMs, things like that. We covered that on this show. It was absolutely fascinating. So there's an update, and it's a pretty interesting one. We'll share that with you. But a little bit more, David, about your background. I mean, we've had you as a caller, I would say, extensively. You've sometimes called and we've had you on for multiple segments. Always interesting things to talk about. You are the sheriff, the elected sheriff of Santa Cruz County, Arizona. This is a border county. It includes Nogales, correct? That's correct. It's the... um, There are four border counties in Arizona that border the state of Sonora, Mexico. And uh, the county where I live... It has the biggest ports of entry with Mexico. Um, mm. So there's a lot of movement of commerce. Uh, it's estimated that 50% of all fresh fruits and vest- vegetables consumed in the United States dur- come through. during the winter comes through that port wow. of entry. That's the big business. And it stands to reason because we live in a northern climate. We don't have a year-round growing season. So if you go to Kroger or Walmart or Aldi's and you're able to get your tomatoes and lettuce and mangoes year round. It's because of that, that uh, cross border traffic that comes Mm -hmm. up here. So it's a a very important function. It shows how free trade, free enterprise really works. You take advantage of uh, specialties, you know, people have economic advantages. It may be, uh, you know, the access to labor, the access to an ocean where you can get your tilapia or the access to a certain type of terrain that's good for growing berries or apples or vegetables. So um, that's the access point from Central America and Mexico for all the fresh fruits and vegetables to, that come to the U.S. And when people talk about, we don't need Mexico, let's just shut it down. We <laughs> can produce everything we need in the United States. It's very naive um, because they don't know how much we depend on, you know, uh, even if you're a build-the-wall Republican, you know, you want to go get your head of lettuce and you want to get your tomato and you want to get your oranges when you want them. And that comes from free international trade. And another thing that's done right across the, the line there in Mexico is what's called the maquiladora in industry. And I've heard Mark talk something about the maquilas, you know, in other countries. But what it is, it's a zone where it's kind of like a duty-free zone. Oh, really? Um, and it's for assembly plants, mainly run by U.S. companies mm-hmm. in Mexico that are constrained uh, by regulatory agencies on what they can do in the U.S. So what little is left of the U.S. automotive industry depends on this maquiladora industry, which create uh, the wiring har- harnesses and other 
subcomponents for the U.S. automotive industry, and mm-hmm. those things are shipped into the U.S. so that they can ultimately say made in the U.S. Um, for, <laughs> assembled for, in the U.S. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Assembled in the U.S. So yeah. it's the the uh, the county has a unique history. My family is a ranching family. Uh, they moved there from. Um, from Dodge City, Kansas to Tombstone, Arizona in the 1800s before Arizona was a state. Arizona became a state in 1912. So I have ranching property in two counties in Arizona, Santa Cruz County and Cochise County. Um, And then in 1912, those properties were officially homesteaded when Arizona became a state, but they were owned. uh, My family still had deeds to those properties before Arizona became a state. And there were some Hmm. Spanish land grants that used to be part of Mexico, part of Spain before that. And those were also honored. But as most of those Western states, there's a whole lot that's just government property that's bombing ranges. Um, You know, uh, Department of the Interior, Bureau of Land Management, Forest Service, there's Indian reservations out there. So um, not... A, a large amount of Arizona is privately owned, which is is too bad. But. Well, that's true of a lot of places west of the Mississippi, isn't it? I mean, right. we we usually cite the statistic: it's two thirds is federal, quote unquote, property. When you look west of the Mississippi, and that's right. probably it sounds like that's true or more so in in Arizona. Yeah, I I have properties out there that are completely surrounded by federal land, so wow. it's kind of in a way, it's a. Uh, it's a unique beneficial situation that I can pretty much do what I want and uh, not have neighbors complaining. But on the other hand, if the feds have you hemmed in, they could basically shut you off from, from polite society also, you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, if they decided to come in and raise you or surround thought. you or do some Ruby Ridge type of a thing. Yeah. So, um, but you know, I enjoy living out there. Like I feel kind of lost out here in new England. Um, Mainly well, this is be- your first time. I don't know if we mentioned that on the air. <laughs> yeah, it's this- my first time in New England. Yeah. And when we were driving yesterday from Boston, it was overcast and it was raining. Yep. And in Arizona, I'm used to always knowing which direction I'm facing. Like there's large mountains, like there's a mm-hmm. 9,000 foot mount- mountain range yeah. to, to the north of the town I live in, Nogales. And the big city next to us is Tucson. And there's other uh, 9,000 foot mountain range on the north side of Tucson. So you can always kind of tell which way you're heading, north, mm-hmm. south, east, or west. Plus, you can always see the sun out there, too. So I can tell yeah. it's morning. That must be east. And the You guys don't get a lot of rain down there, huh? Um, our rainy season is kind of July through September, and we okay. had a very poor rainy season this year. But Well, we had the opposite. It's been raining a ton here this uh, this summer. we got more coming up here with uh, Sheriff David Hathaway. Uh, there's actually, you mentioned the property that your family owns. There's some sort of an issue that you have with that you want to talk about here tonight, a ghost town yeah, uh, I, that you have. We'll, we'll get into uh, it coming up here. Yeah. Uh, the number is 603-283-6160. You can join us as well here on Free Talk Live. This hour of Free Talk Live is brought to you by Dash Digital Cash. Dash is the cryptocurrency designed to be used for spending. In addition to being one of the world's first cryptocurrencies, Dash was the first crypto project to have a decentralized autonomous organization that to this day continues to improve and promote Dash. Every month, 10% of the mining rewards go into a treasury. Anyone with one Dash to spend can put forward a proposal to the Dash masternodes. The masternodes vet the proposals and decide which ones move forward and are funded by that treasury. Nowadays, DAOs are plentiful, but Dash paved the way by doing it first nearly a decade ago. 
Dash is one of the oldest cryptocurrencies and is widely available on exchanges, including the decentralized Maya protocol, and in multi-crypto wallets. It's easy to get and use Dash. Start by learning more at Dash.org. Thanks to the Dash DAO for sending us 32 Dash per month to promote Dash on the air. Visit Dash.org to learn about Dash. Dash.org. It's Free Talk Live, the live Saturday show. The phones are open if you want to join us here. The number is 603-283-6160. You can bring up anything you want. We're talking with our guest co-host tonight, uh, Sheriff David Hathaway. He's in the studio with us. There's a sheriff in the house. A real sheriff oh, in boy. the Free Talk Live studio. No one saw that one coming. <laughs> Let me tell you. You're not going to arrest me for violating uh, some sort of speech rules tonight, are you? Oh, no. Right. No, I don't even carry a gun. Thanks. I appreciate it. That. As part of the, the no, job I mean, down there? No, I don't. I don't carry a gun. And really? I, I, I don't I, mean I, thanks I, for not carrying a gun, but no, thanks for not arresting me. I yeah. own a lot of guns, but uh-huh. you know, I just don't want to have any image of being pretentious or of running anybody's life. I've never okay. put on a uniform, and people wow. ask me that, and I say, no, I don't want that, that air of official dumb you know that okay. uh, you know and i'm kind of a big guy so you know also i you know i may wind up intimidating people you know a guy with a gun and in the badge and the uniform so i just don't do that that's surprising and, and a pleasant surprise uh by the way this hour of free talk live is brought to you by dash digital cash dash is a cryptocurrency designed to be used for spending and of course the rising fees on bitcoin have made that not so useful Uh, when it comes to purchases but dash continues to have fees of less than one cent per transaction and its features ensure that dash is undefeated as the most useful crypto in the marketplace from a technical standpoint dash transactions are irreversible its networks protected from the dreaded 51 percent attack by their chain locks technology if you're an engineering sort go look that one up it'll be fascinating uh, there's no need to wait for a confirmation before considering a Dash transaction complete, so it's great for merchants. It's one of the oldest cryptocurrencies out there. It's coming up on 10 years old, by the way, which is old for a crypto. A decade, yeah. yeah. And is widely available on exchanges, including the decentralized Maya protocol and in multi-crypto wallets. It's easy to get and use Dash. You can start by learning more at Dash.org. And big thanks to the Dash DAO, their decentralized autonomous organization for sending us 32 dash per month to promote dash on the air you can visit dash.org to learn about dash that is dash.org uh i just want to say david uh, thank you uh, because i've been saying for i don't even know maybe four years i don't remember when i first said it uh police and this includes sheriffs of course uh you know in this general mm-hmm. you know sort of law enforcement bucket uh, they have a horrible reputation in the united states just in general across the board yep and uh, every time something like a gun control bill comes up, it's always some politician or some you know chief of police or somebody who's reciting you know we've had X amount of shootings and that's why and we need to you know clamp down on that kind of thing. And I've said uh, every time a story comes up about police shooting your dog or they threw a grenade in the wrong apartment into a baby's crib or whatever this kind of stuff, I- I've said many times, all the police need to do is get together and. You know, if they want to show us how it's done, put put your guns down. Yeah. <laughs> right? Well, you know, I, I'm just sad to say the sheriffs in Arizona are no exception to that. And, you know, there's this kind of movement nowadays. The yeah, but, it, but it only takes sheriff. one guy, right? And I just want to say thank you and applaud you for choosing well, not to carry the gun as you go about your business. Yeah. And, you know, the... Uh, 
There's an Arizona Sheriff's Association that consists of all 15 sheriffs in Arizona. There's 15 counties in Arizona, and they've done draconian things. Uh, They want to pretend like they are freedom crusaders, uh, but at the same time, the Sheriff's Association has drafted letters that are supposed to be the voice of all sheriffs to Arizona. Like there was one about, and you won't sign on to it. I want to hear about, I want to hear about it. Just we'll make a note. We'll come back to it, but I got Chris on the line here and he's a podcast listener. Chris, you're on free talk live. Go ahead. Yeah. Ian, I, I really want to say thank you. Cause, uh, the, the show hearing you guys every night, it's really changed my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've always kind of been, an anarchic kind of person, you know, no government and all that. But it was the discussions of personal responsibility and stuff like that. I never heard anything like that anywhere. And at the time that I found your show was 2007. I was working at Wendy's, making nothing an hour, trying to struggle and survive. Mm -hmm. And I'm now a business owner. Wow. I make decent money because I finally took charge of my life. Nice. And That's awesome. I, I, I it, it was you and Mark and just, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I struggle to, to express myself sometimes. Okay. Um, but you know, listening to you guys and, and you get going back and forth and, the the topics that you guys have talked about it, it it brought to mind that I can't let anybody control my life. I can't hope that something's going to happen and so, uh, somehow somebody's going to hand me what I need. And you know now I I and, do well. You know, Chris, and that's the American dream. You know, if you look at uh, supposedly the principle this country was founded on, and it can work. You know, we don't need uh, an outsider to come in and tell us how to run our life or provide us resources. And the ones that purport to do that are all taking a cut off the top of anything they take from everyone <laughs> else. And then, you know, I'm I'm a sheriff, but even a sheriff or a sheriff's office is not a market creation. You know, there's this uh, saying that people vote with their dollars. They vote with their money and they get more of what they want. They get more of what benefits society and they get less of things that harm society. So even something like a sheriff's office, people want to act like that's a revered institution, but that's not a market creation. Uh, People didn't vote with their dollars and say, we want this um, number of deputy sheriffs. It's just a local government entity pulls a number out of the air but maybe it would be less, maybe it would be more, or maybe everybody would want to handle their own security or they would want options for security services. So you're exactly right. It's not just a utopian pipe dream. Um, if the leeches would leave us alone, we would all be able to help each other more, and the, those price signals would function. People would get more of what really benefits society. No doubt. Chris, I'm really glad we were able to help you, um, you know, take more responsibility for your life. 16 years he's been listening? 16 years, is that right? Wow. That's uh, amazing. And so what's the business that you do, if you don't mind saying? Like, what you you went from being, uh, you know, working at Wendy's for X amount an hour, and now you're doing something I presume you love to do? Uh, Yeah, I'm an uh, owner-operator truck driver. That's great. Oh, great. Thank thank you for your service, by the way. Indeed, yeah. yeah. (laughs) I really appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, are you on the road right now? 
Uh, yes, I am. Okay. You do uh, cross-country? For the most part. I mm-hmm. tend to stay pretty regional, but I do end up just about everywhere. I've actually been not too far from Keene at times, and it's a beautiful country up there, and I, 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 I'm I, going to be up there in about four years when my daughter turns 18. Nice. Right. Cool. Uh, we don't have a lot of truck stops in Keene, unfortunately, but uh, they do come through here, so there must be somewhere they're they're parking uh, on occasion. Uh, Chris, we'll look forward to uh, to seeing you. Was there anything else you wanted to share? Uh, no, just uh, good luck with everything on Monday. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, thank you for the call tonight. Of course, he's referring to the sentencing part two <laughs> of the uh, the sentencing federal government sentencing. can't even make a complete sentence the first time <laughs> <laughs> that started three weeks ago. And hopefully will end tomorrow, although there's a lot to be discussed, apparently. And there's going to be an interesting the first time it was kind of legalistic and it was kind of boring, uh, with the exception of the the poor scam victims they they dragged in to tell their horrifying stories. Um, Last time there was a lot of like judge talk with a lot of confusing legalese. This time, you know, I I don't know if that'll happen, but uh, there's definitely going to be an interesting legal discussion where the uh, the government people, the prosecutors, are going to be arguing that I should pay restitution right. to people who <laughs> lied to me to get me to sell and, and them. voluntarily gave you their money. And yeah. if anybody wants to show up for that and show support for Ian, it's going to be 10 a.m. at the federal courthouse in Concord, Concord New, New Hampshire. Yeah. So if that's it's Monday morning within driving distance, uh, I know Ian would appreciate that. Yeah, come on out. Um, There's in, a protest going on beforehand as well. I don't know how early it starts. But I heard it's 830. Yeah. Um, but you may want to get in there sooner rather than later if you want to get a seat because there were a lot of people that, that showed up. And I'm really grateful for that. Of course, the government brought in a lot of people as well to fill in you know, <laughs> It's so the weird courtroom. because you can tell who the government people are because uh, non-government people. Suits. Well, yeah, and they all have like laptops and cell phones that they're on the whole entire right. time. Right. Because right? they don't allow everybody to have those. Only the approved government people can have those. Right. And so when you go in and you see the pews, yeah, they're pews. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you see the pews on the, on the government side, if you will, the right-hand side where the prosecution sits, you yep. see the pews full of people with their laptops out and they're typing or blogging <laughs> or they're on their phones, on their Twitter, on their Facebook, whatever it is they're doing, right? You can look over their shoulder and kind of get an idea of what they're doing. They're doing all the same stuff that we would be doing, right? Mm-hmm. They're blog posting, they're Twitter, you know, they're doing all that kind of crap. They're checking their emails, they're, they're scheduling their kids' softball tournament, whatever it is, mm-hmm. right? They're not doing any actual official government so business. So are they kind of segregated there. like friends of the bride and friends of the groom, like on, it, on each like, side? Like they tried... I don't think there's a hard rule about it they tried for part one to to make it so that uh anyone that was there to support ian could only fill up the left half right and then the right half they tried to like occupy with all of their government goons and now but there were still some of my supporters on being the right some side. spillover because yeah. they didn't have quite enough people to fill them all the way and well there were way more than enough did people they to, reserve to them ian. though did they have like no some i guy think they just them? showed up mm-hmm. and i'm not sure like what the I don't remember seeing that many like suits and laptops walk by me because mm-hmm. I was kind of standing in the hall. But then again, I was uh, talking to a whole bunch of people, so I could have been distracted. Yeah. So I don't, I didn't pay it any attention because I just figured whatever, right? But yeah. then, like as I got in and as the proceedings started, I was like, "Hey, that whole half is almost government people, right?" Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so it'll be interesting because they're going to try to argue that I should pay restitution to people who were scammed, sadly, online. And part of the scam was they bought Bitcoin from me. 
And part of the scam was they lied to me to buy Bitcoin from me to get me to sell them the Bitcoin. And now the government people are saying that I should be the one to pay for what the scammers did to these uh, to these this, people. This case is like uh, crazy. This case is like uh, somebody, uh, uh, you know, conned some old lady into, you know, extracting her life savings out of her savings account, really the bank, stuff. and then used it with cash to buy a valuable painting. Yeah, well, it's right? like... And then the painting gets, you know, sold to somebody else, right? Uh, and the government's going after the guy who sold the yeah. painting. That's <laughs> like you have a, a bully on the pr- on the playground, and he goes up to the another kid and says, hey, do you have your lunch money? Yeah. yeah. Take it and go buy a candy bar from that guy over there and bring it to me. Right. And then Ian's the guy selling the candy bar. Right. You know? <laughs> exactly. And I go to prison for bullying. <laughs> yeah. Case. yeah. Yeah. No, they have uh, the, the three little old ladies they trotted out as, you know, victims mm-hmm. uh, of, you know, being swindled out of their life savings or whatever. Um, the, the government, even as the judge says, the prosecution has done a real good job of convincing them that Ian is the romance scammer. And that has not been proven at all in any way, shape, or form. I they t- never even alleged it. No, they've never even alleged they it. They admitted these- in court that I wasn't involved in the scam. Right. They admitted that. Right. And so these three little old ladies, when they read their their statements, now these statements, uh, you know, supposedly aren't coached and you know that kind of a thing, but they were just very like, Ian is a bad man for scamming us out of our money. They think Ian somehow is yeah. the romance, and when that it is not even close to being the case. Yeah, you right? know the, the guy I, is still out there. What do they say? Jer- Jerry Harmon. Jerry Harmon, something like that. The government, one of even his many ad- names, I'm sure. The government even admitted during your trial that some of these ladies had been in contact with this guy as soon as like a week up until you know before the actual trial happened. So, like the scammers out there still doing scamming. The FBI has caught zero romance scammers uh using bitcoin or dollars or any other you know form of value right the government has caught zero of them uh mr freeman here has caught at least one of them right has you know (laughs) by his own accord through his own testimony right is like he has caught more romance scammers uh and and made you know people whole more so than the government has yeah you know and you know in my former career as a dea agent you know there are procedures in the federal government to relieve innocent third parties who get caught up in something. And I have done those investigations. Like, let's say there's a rental car company whose car was used to smuggle cocaine or sure. something mm-hmm. like that. Probably happens okay. all the time. Yeah. As draconian as the federal drug laws are, and they shouldn't exist, there are procedures where that company files what's called a claim and cost bond, and the agent does what's called a petition investigation, and I've done many of those. And then you return uh, the, the say it's an asset, you return it to the innocent third party, or you exculpate, you pull the, the, the innocent third party if they get somehow charged, mm-hmm. you pull them out of the process because it's shown that they had nothing to do with the quote-unquote illegal activity. Right. So. Um, there are procedures for that, but there's just obviously in this case, there's no intent to go after the ones that, that actually, you know, uh, did the scams, the actual scammers uh, to try to identify them. Nope. There was uh, no. In fact, they testified during the trial, the, the victims of these scammers, more than one of them testified that the FBI never asked them a single question about who the scammer was or how to get in touch with them or set me up with a con, you know, call with them or whatever. Didn't somebody on the prosecution say that there is no investigation 
into the romance game? I think they later tried to claim, like, well, we're going to start looking into it. They tried to act like, oh, well, well we were going to get to that. And, uh-huh, yeah, sure you sure were. Sure you were. Sure you were. Yeah, after you raid this little studio in Keene twice, you bastards. Yeah. So uh, that's happening Monday. It's 10 a.m. Again, if you're going to be in the New England area, come on up and see it. It should be interesting, to say the least. So we were talking about you as the sheriff, uh, David, from Arizona down in Santa Cruz County. And you were just about to tell us about this sheriff's association that has, you know, all 15 sheriffs, their members of it. What were you going to say about them? Yeah, the uh, the president is typically whoever is the biggest neocon in the association okay. gets elected to the status of president. And then he will draft letters, statement letters from the whole organization and send them out as if. They are being authored, or as if they are position statements for for all of the, for all the fifteen sheriffs in Arizona. Um, and, are you a member of this organization? Yeah, just by default. Okay, you know, everyone's just kind of a member, and you get on the email list and all that. Um, I think I could probably pull out of that organization, but it's kind of neat to get their emails and see, see what, what they're, they're up saying. to. But one of the ones, let me just give you an example, Ian. Um, there was a very noble uh, effort in the Arizona legislature to kind of modify the civil asset forfeiture rules that says there has to be an underlying crime charged and there has to be a conviction before you can forfeit an asset, a car, a money okay. or anything. Good. So so what it did, and it just changed very few words and it said there must be an underlying conviction. Now the money could be seized or the asset pending the proof of guilt for this individual. So let me say, let's say, um, Captain, you went and robbed the Seven Eleven. And you got a hundred dollars, and then there's vi- Ooh, I'm rich. <laughs> video footage of you committing this act. Somebody chases you down and ret- retrieves the hundred dollars out of the car. So, under this new modified law, there's an underlying crime. They could charge you with the crime if if Seven uh, Eleven was willing to be uh, put themselves down as the victim, and, you know, and sign a complaint. And then that money would be held until you were convicted and you were found guilty, and then it could be forfeited and used as restitution to pay back 7-Eleven. But what it would not allow the government to do is what they're doing now, even at the southwest border, even at the Mexican border in the town where I live, um, CBP is now searching vehicles that are leaving the U.S. So you have U.S. agents, U.S. authorities searching cars as they leave. So it's kind of like an East Berlin-type scenario. You know, if you build a wall... Then it's not only going to keep people from coming in, but it's going to keep you from leaving. Like if you want to expatriate and take your gold coins or your money and go live in Mazatlan or Acapulco or something like that, right. they will actually take your money. Wow. And then with no underlying crime, not charging you with a crime, and require you to claim that back and then prove that it's legitimate income, prove, you know, uh, you know, IRS paperwork or something to show that you legitimately right. They, they turn around and put the burden of proof on you instead of the yeah. burden of proof on them as to whether or not a crime has been committed. Yeah. So say you know I have nine kids. Say somebody kidnapped uh, one of my nine kids, and then they wanted ransom, and I paid them ten thousand dollars ransom. Well, yeah. if somebody was to retrieve that money. There is an underlying crime. That person could be charged with kidnapping. The money could re- be retrieved, uh, and then the case would go through the courts right. and see if this person is actually guilty, if that really is my money, and then the money bill would be paid back. So back to the Sheriff's Association. Um, they called me personally and badged me 
badgered me, emailed me saying, we have to have this be a unanimous letter, a statement to the legislature, to the governor, that we can't do this. And the letter was so goofy, it said, this is a very important source of funding for all of our operations, for our drug task forces. We rely on what this is, money. What is civil asset forfeiture? Civil asset forfeiture okay. money wow. with, without an underlying conviction. And all the modification to the law said, it wasn't undoing the law, it mm-hmm. just added language to say, there must be an underlying crime charged and a conviction before the money can be forfeited. But they pestered me and said, look, this has to be unanimous. We have to all <laughs> sign this. And then I wouldn't agree to it, obviously. It's like, well, that doesn't make any sense. You could just go grab somebody's money. Hey, you got a bag of money there. I'm going to take it. And um, the only way for you, you have to file a bond if you want to contest this and you have to hire your own attorney at your sure. own expense to prove that this is yours. So. All this did was undo that. The cops mm-hmm. still have the ability to take your money, but they have to charge an underlying crime. So seems the, like a completely reasonable change yeah. to that uh, to that law. Indeed. And and actually, fortunately, the change went through. The okay, legislature good. passed it, and the governor signed it um, against the wishes of the sheriffs' association in Arizona. I just think that's just so disgusting, mm-hmm. you know. And how could any of them claim that they're kind of any? freedom-loving sheriff or right. standing up to the for the Constitution or innocent until proven guilty. Right. Um, but that was one example. Well, we've done a number of uh, stories here on Free Talk Live about things, uh, you know, uh, somebody withdraws their savings, puts it in a suitcase, tries to get out of the country, you know, go retire somewhere else, and they're carrying cash, and, of course, the government finds it, takes it, yeah. you know, and they and have no recourse. it's kind of weird how... This is a new thing that started about 12 years ago, this pilot program for the U.S. officials to search you as you are leaving. That's yeah. what I was going to ask you is the way how they long did, that's been going on. Yeah, there's three Supreme Court cases that kind of expanded on what's called extended border search authority. These are the same Supreme Court rulings that give CBP the supposed authority to stop you, detain you, search you, and interrogate you any, any place within 100 miles of an international border. Mm. But... Um, as Scott Horton has pointed out, two-thirds of the United States, two-thirds of the 340 million people that live in the United States live within mm-hmm. 100 miles of an international right. border. That includes cities like Los Angeles, uh, you know, Chicago, New York, yep. you know, Miami, uh, San Diego. So, um, you know, I call this the constitution-free zone, meaning you can be searched for no cause if you're within that range of this extended border search authority. And then they started thinking, well... If we can search people within 100 miles of the border, why can't we search them while they're going south, while they're crossing into Mexico as well? So the light bulb went on in their head. This was a temporary pilot project 12 years ago in my town. There would just be guys, CBP officers, standing in the southbound lane just saying, hey, let me look into your car. But now there's a permanent structure. There's a shade structure. There's bathrooms there. There's permanent. Uh, Nothing so permanent as a temporary government program. So this is you going into Mexico. But when you get to Mexico, the Mexicans don't care. They're just like, come on in with your, you know, the gringos come in with your dollars. Yeah, you got money. Yeah, come on in. So, uh, wow. Is this something where they're actually allowed to force a search on people or are they like sneakily getting them to consent to a search now, on the way out. They try to always get the consent because the U.S. Mm-hmm. Attorney's Office wants a confession. If any of this was ever contested, they they want a confession just to make the case easier. But they will claim under their border search authority, their border search authority, they would assert, doesn't just mean northbound, doesn't just mean coming in. It mm-hmm. can mean leaving too. So the way they've defined it and their chief counsel's office for CBP has defined the border search authority 
as applying to that zone, mm-hmm. not just a direction of travel, not just mm-hmm. coming into the U.S. So they actually claim that they have the illegal authority to do that, um, to actually dig through your car and ask you questions. Now, you can do the usual thing and say, you know, I don't answer questions or I don't consent right. to any searches. But they that will be Joseph Wambaugh's contempt of cop. You know, they'll be like, okay, this guy's being a problem. And then they'll even focus in more on you. So, you know, that's the right thing to do to not give them permission. But at the same time, they're likely to gang up on you. Have you heard of people who have refused? Yeah. And what they'll do is they'll set you aside. They have mm-hmm. holding cells in the secondary area. So, uh, and then they'll search your car and they'll run it through the x-ray, x-ray machine because Jeez. they claim they have the authority in that border zone. Wow. That's just insane. Because I know when Mark went through years ago, he was in El Paso uh, at one of the internal checkpoints and he refused to answer their question they didn't like it but ultimately they waved him through and they even see small dollar amounts like a thousand dollars that are well well under the ten thousand dollar reporting requirement and they'll say well you're probably doing what we call smurfing that means multiple shipments to get under the ten thousand threshold and they'll take it they'll take it they'll take it anyway all right there's more coming up here in moments this is free talk live On Free Talk Live, we're bringing people to the ideas of liberty every day. From wrestling superstars like Glenn Jacobs. You guys really are having an impact, I believe. Like I said, uh, a lot of where I am now is due to listening to Free Talk Live. You changed my mind on some very important issues years ago. To random people tuning in on the radio. I was kind of stuck in the left-right paradigm. I heard your show by chance on a Saturday night. From there, I went on, joined the Free State Project, and become an amplifier. So, I mean, that's really the reason why I amp is uh, because I know that if it wasn't for you guys being on as many stations as you are, I never would have found the ideas of liberty. You can help more people hear the message of liberty by joining Free Talk Live's AMPS program on Patreon for as little as $5 a month. And you'll get access to special perks. Visit amps.freetalklive.com, amps.freetalklive.com. Free Talk Live. It's Free Talk Live, and you can join the show should you wish to. You can call in at 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. Joining you in the studio tonight, it's Ian. David. And the captain, David Hathaway, is here. He's the sheriff of Santa Cruz County, elected sheriff. Any relation to you know any of the famous Hathaway? Anne Hathaway, Noah Hathaway? Not that I know no. of. Okay. Uh, he's here and with us for the whole show here tonight as he's up visiting in New England for the first time. He'll be attending uh, with hopefully many dozens of other people. We had over 100 people, some people estimated, at the first sentencing hearing on monday it would uh, warm my heart to a degree not seen before if the amount of people that showed up for this one exceeded that would be amazing the amount that showed up for uh the last one and i say that because it's a high bar because there was a lot of people there last time it is but i say that because the government sometimes likes to table things because uh there's too much noise too many around people it, watching right? it yeah. uh, we know that you've got a couple of uh documentaries being filmed we saw mm-hmm. uh nbc there we saw uh, the local news there. Yep, we saw right. bloggers and podcasters and lions and tigers and bears. Oh my! So we know that there is uh, you know extra attention being paid to this particular case, and 
So sometimes the government, because they have the ability to sort of spend more money and draw it out, they don't care how much it costs, how much labor they have to throw sure. at it. Right. Not their they, they will like, oh, well, we better like do a let's do a legal thing and then we'll postpone it until mm-hmm. next time. And maybe it'll be like a lesser crowd. So yeah. like I really hope that backfires on them. That'd be cool. Uh, we were talking with the sheriff here about being a sheriff in Arizona where there's a bunch of neocon sheriffs. And I don't know if you finished the story about the sheriff's association. I feel like there might have been more to that. Uh, did, we'll get to yeah, that coming yeah. up here. Uh, but first, we have Skeeter on the line in California. Go ahead, Skeeter. It's your favorite uh, evolutionary capitalist, your boy, young Skeeter. You're definitely not our favorite anything, as far as I'm concerned. But, you're not my uh, boy. Yeah, go ahead. What are you it's calling about? Favorite evolutionary capitalist. You have another evolutionary capitalist. Maybe it's you, maybe you're your favorite one, but uh, you don't get to tell us what our favorites are. Okay, Whatever. I reject the okay, premise, so, so therefore yeah. I don't have a favorite. So we'll name another evolutionary capitalist. You have. What were you show. calling about? By default, I'm favorite. Okay, I'm, I'm calling about war. So, so uh, that would also you make know, you the worst one as well. If we're going to be saying that, but uh, go yeah, ahead. Technically, yeah. What about war? <laughs> But I'm tired of you guys uh, perpetuating the fallacy. Get to that your reason for calling, yeah. please. What was it? Yeah, I'm tired of you guys perpetuating the fallacy that war is the health of the state when it's things like conventional war and the drug war that actually destroy the state. A true market runs on profit, not on rights. And that's why war and government spending leads to the drug to war destroys the state. Well, we actually have a former DEA. <laughs> Uh, agent sitting in the studio here with us. And I don't know, maybe, David, you have uh, some thoughts on Skeeter's claim, which he has made before, uh, that he believes that the war on drugs is somehow destroying the state. Well, actually, the state is deeply embedded in the war on drugs and profits from it. One of the unfortunate things I realized while I was part of the war on drugs and doing the investigation into the Kiki Camarena murder in Mexico is that actually the CIA perpetuated that murder. I interviewed CIA pilots, and it actually turned to be a very dark, strange story that Rafael Caro Quintero, that was the one that was blamed for that operation, was actually renting Rancho Veracruz, his ranch in Mexico, as an airstrip to be used for a transshipment of uh, guns to the uh, Iran-Contras in uh, Central America, in Nicaragua. Mm. In direct violation of U.S. law, where U.S. the Congress had passed a law saying that no funding could go to fund the Contras, and they were shipping cocaine to the U.S., also using that as a waypoint along the way to the U.S., where uh, the the federal government does profit immensely. If you read books by Gary Webb about the uh, cocaine trafficking in um, Southern California that was uh, the drugs fun- funded by and sold by um, – uh, CIA operatives, um, something I have often recommended that somebody should do under a freedom of information request is go to the DEA and ask for, under a freedom of information request, the International Controlled Delivery Logbook. It's called the ICD Logbook. Since the DEA, the A stands for administration, this is supposed to be the place where all drug activity Uh, is consolidated, all drug investigations consolidated for the federal government. And everybody, customs, CIA, DEA, FBI, anybody bringing drugs across the border has to get a log number from the DEA. And I tried to get, um, uh, who's my friend, Uh, Will Grigg, before he passed Mm. away, a great, uh, you know, uh, writer on police abuses, 
to do a freedom of information request to DEA headquarters in Arlington, Virginia, to try to get access to that logbook that shows the vast number of drugs that the uh, federal government has imported into the U.S. So, yes, the U.S. They would actually write that stuff down? They actually put it in a logbook. Now, if you could get that, Ian, you know what it it would be like. It would be redacted. There Uh would be a bunch of pages (laughs) with just black permanent marker through it. Uh, But there is actually a logbook in DEA headquarters for where every uh, federal government agency that brings drugs across the border has to get a log number for DEA. And they will claim that it's to further an investigation, you know, to they have to deliver it to the source in the United States Mm -hmm. so they can identify perpetrators in the U.S., but they will actually import drugs in the U.S. And officially there's a logbook in DEA headquarters where they assign a log number for all those importations. They are bureaucrats. They got to have forums just laying around. Yeah, they can't just be Mm -hmm. like, we're we're a bunch of tyrants and we're just doing this to pat our own pockets. No, there's like in-depth bureaucracy. So Skeeter, I'm I'm afraid that's wrong. The government does profit from the drug smuggling. So do you you have all the numbers of expenses and revenue that comes from the drug war? Are you sure the net benefit is a profit? Are you sure about that? Yeah, for the uh, DEA was founded in 1973, July 1st, 1973, by Richard Nixon. For the first 20 years of DEA's existence, it was the only federal agency that took in more money than it spent. So wow. it actually added to the general fund. Their operating budget was less than the number of uh, the amount of uh, value that they took on, in on asset seizures. So it was a net benefit to the federal government. And then they started getting a bunch of other additional positions, you know, uh, trying to expand their operations like all government agencies do. Intelligence analysts, you know, more administrative personnel, more training personnel at the academy in Quantico, Virginia, because DEA's academy is part of the FBI academy in Quantico. So that's where I would go for all my training. So eventually their budget, after about 20 years, exceeded what they took in in revenue. But they were a net profit maker for the first 20 years for the federal government. That's pretty impressive. Skeeter, uh, if I can recommend, you may need to seek some help. No, uh, I heard him the other does, night on the does show. Does the government run on a cash basis accounting system or on a cruel basis of accounting? Can you answer me that, David? Cash or accrual? Cruel? All the unfunded liabilities that the DEA incurs? Well, as you probably know, 40% of the federal budget is not uh, brought in through taxation. It is through money printing, you know. So they're inflating the dollar and raising the cost of all goods and services for all Americans and for all people around the world by funding their operations largely through money printing, not through taxation. So um, I don't really understand the the question about accounting, but I know... Uh, there's a lot of uh, you know uh, art- artificial monetary expansion that's used to fund DEA and every other federal agency. Skeeter has gotten more shrill recently. Like he's gotten angrier and angrier. I don't know if you noticed this. I think it was on Beard Talk Live last weekend. I meant to say something to you about it, Captain. Like, oh my God, or maybe it was Sunday night, yeah. uh, where he called in. And he just kept on shouting and getting louder and louder. And Skeeter, you may want to look into you know getting some ha- anger management classes. Oh. Or getting some help, maybe start smoking weed or something. There was a couple of times he called in where, like, he was very calm and collected. And I I was just thinking maybe he, like, switched up his medication or something. Yeah, or maybe he stopped taking the medication. I'm not sure. It's partially because you keep muting me, number one. Number two, it has a lot to do with Rich. (laughs) It has a lot to do with frustrations built up because of uh, Rich's fallacies with logic. Who's Rich? Rich Oh, on on Sunday. I got you. Just take a a deep breath, man. Count to ten. Have a good night. 
the number here is 603-283-6160. We go to Ricky. He's in uh, the Commonwealth, PA. Go ahead, Ricky. Thank you there, brother Ian. See, now you're always calm. Ricky's always taking it easy. He's always got the slow foghorn, <laughs> leghorn sort of cadence that he likes to follow. Yeah, brother Cap- is that brother Captain? It is, yeah. He's here, yes. Pretty, and also David Pretty Hathaway. good impression. Uh, that, sure. That's exactly it. Brother, I'm sorry, Sheriff Halfway. It's yeah. a pleasure to speak to you. Yeah, and you can call me brother, too. That's fine. <laughs> Thank you there, Brother Hathaway. Actually, I've been looking for this opportunity. When you first were taking calls, I never got the opportunity. I wanted to talk to you about something. You're here, man. That's Go right. ahead. Okay. Now, I don't know if you ever heard any of my calls, but see, uh, I'm going to be running for office in 2025, and I take uh, the stance, and I have said on the air, uh, that I am going to blow, make possible blowing away the Consti- U.S. Constitution for the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania in one term, if elected. Now, uh, I wanted to get your thoughts, what you think of uh, doing that when it comes to Pennsylvania. I'm running for District 189 in the PA House. You know, of course, I don't like any words like blowing away or smashing <laughs> or anything like that. You know, I believe in... Well, that's the one thing about my rallies. They're, unlike uh, Mr. Trump and his Second Amendment, there's going to be lots of guns in my rallies. Yeah, okay. well, you know, as long as you're looking for a peaceful, you know, voluntary solution to whatever problems you see in society, you know, I, I don't see a problem with that. But I've I've heard on your last few calls a tendency towards more... What sounded like violence, or for what nah, sounded like? A- I've only to clear that up. That was a misunderstanding okay. by Miss Bonnie. See, I do wear the battle flag, and the battle flag has significance. It will be peaceful. I mean, uh, as far as the PA House blowing it away, I mean, I know I'm going to accomplish doing that. Now, at, after that, I can't say that what the federal government will necessarily do. Because as far as I'm concerned, there's no sense blowing it away if we're going to say you still have claim to the land. Yeah, can you just boil it down in a few few words? What kind of a political perspective you have? What kind of a label would you put on yourself? I think I've heard you use words like Confederate, Democrat, or different things well, like that. I'll make it real short. I'll make it simple for you, Brother Hathaway. Now, I'm a Jeffersonian. Uh, unlike previous Jeffersonians that have ran for office, I am an extremist, just like Jefferson was. Uh, and, I, you know, I, I believe in the legalization of all narcotics. I'm against the soliciting laws. I am for open borders and a lot of other things. Now, as far as things go, I am a Democrat, but I'm a Democrat, say, of 160, 65 years ago with you know, uh, you know my insight using Jefferson as a template for written and unconstitutionality. Yeah. Does that clear anything up for you? Well, uh, no, but David. you know, when you say about the Democrats of old, I remember when I grew up in the '60s and the '70s, the De- Democrats were very different. They were anti-war. Yeah, and yeah. I remember when Bill and Hillary Clinton were in their college age. They were uh, Vietnam War protesters, so the Democrat ah, the Party old days. yeah, used to be anti-war before Hillary became a war hawk as Secretary of State. And mm. they were also uh, against the drug war. Um, both Hillary mm. and, and Bill Clinton were, were protesters of the early 
iteration of the drug war, and they were in they favor changed of... changed their tune on that, didn't they? Yeah, freedom of speech, where college campuses were bastions of free speech back in those days, in the days when Hillary and Bill were were going to college. You know, they yeah, you can be anything. You can be a Christian, you can be a Nazi, you can be whatever, a hippie, and you can have a voice on a college campus. But it seems like those days of the Democratic Party have gone away. So, like you say, I, I have seen those changes in the in the philosophy of the Democrat party. And it's going more towards, I guess what you'd call the uniparty where I can't see any difference, you know, at the national level, you know, of everybody wants the same thing. Everybody wants more war. They, they, they want more welfare. So, um, yeah, I, I, I'm with you there. I've seen the, the Democrat Party change. Thank you, Ricky, for the call tonight. And, and coming back around to what we were talking about before uh, with you, David, about uh, being the sheriff in Arizona, you are an elected Democrat, yeah. even though you're pretty libertarian from what yeah, I can when say. Yeah, when I first uh, ran, um, I went to my 90-year-old uncle. He was a former state senator, and he was kind of my political mentor. Mm-hmm. And I told him, look, I want to run with no political party or as an independent because I don't want to look like I have a social agenda or mm-hmm. I have baggage or anything like that. I don't want to run anybody's life. And he told me, well, look, in this county, if you just want to make a statement, yeah, um, you can run as an independent or no party declared. Um, so it doesn't look like you're you're aligned uh, for or against in anybody or any group of people. But he said, in this county, unfortunately, you have to run as a Democrat. And to it's win. true. There's been no examples of anybody other than a Democrat winning. And if mm-hmm. I can give the example of th- uh, two of the three county board of supervisors where we have elected uh, supervisors for the county uh, uh, board of supervisors, Two of the three tried first to run as independents, mm-hmm. and then they lost. They ran again as Democrats, and they won. And one of them tells weird. the story of he was talking to a, you know, I speak Spanish. He was talking to a Mexican woman in Nogales, a Hispanic woman. And she told him, uh, mira, mijito, te quiero mucho, pero no puedo votar porque no, no eres demócrata. Look. Look, honey, I really love you and I like you, but I can't vote for you because you're not a Democrat. So it's just kind of <laughs> almost a religious thing. Wow. Uh, they're very conservative, actually, socially. Uh, most of the, most of the people in my in my county are Catholic and they're mm-hmm. Democrat, and it's just kind of like a religious thing. So um, I did that not for philosophy. I don't believe anything of you know the the Democrat Party's platform. Um, it was just. Do I want to just do this as making a philosophical statement right. or and do lose. I want to actually win? Yeah. And so, um, you know, it was a kind of hard, grueling campaign, me and my wife. Because uh, you were against a bunch of other Democrats, right? Because it was the, yeah. I think you've told the story before, if I recall correctly, you replaced a long-term sheriff. So it was an open yeah. seat. You weren't going against an incumbent in this one. Right. Right. Uh, he had been in the position for 28 years for seven-year terms, and once he retired, everybody and his brother wanted to run. So there was six candidates, Mm -hmm. and we just did a kind of grueling uh, door-knocking campaign, kind of like uh, what Ron Paul does. They say Ron Paul wears out four four pairs of shoes every time he would campaign in his district, just knocking on thousands of doors, and my sweet wife would stay up till midnight every night writing letters to everybody we talked to. And we got... 10 times the number of signatures on our petition that was required. We didn't look at it as a curse 
but as a blessing, because every time we get a signature, we would harvest an address, and my wife would not do a form letter, stay up to midnight every night, wow. and she wrote literally thousands of letters that was tailor-made for each person. Like, for example, they'd say, I hope your son recovers from his mm-hmm. cancer treatments, or right. uh, I enjoyed, um, you know, petting your little dog, right. or your hummingbird feeders are beautiful. A letter that was not a photocopy. It was tailor-made mm-hmm. for each individual, and nobody gets a letter nowadays. No. Everything's email or text message. If something shows up with handwriting on it, you're like, it's, what? it's to this notable. day, What ancient sorcery yeah. is this? Yeah. To this day in the grocery store, people will come up and just hug my wife and say, I still have your letter. And Aww. a lot of people have never gotten a letter nowadays. They, yeah. They, right. It's right. Or just it's been a decade a or something. Yeah. Yeah. That's so. a really good touch, a nice personal touch to uh, campaigning. We know that, that that the door-to-door thing is what can make the difference up here as well. You where- know, and I'm surprised, Ian, that people don't care about issues. I kind of like, you know, it's a little uh, perverse nature I have that I like to talk about politics. I mm-hmm. like to discuss about issues. So I was prepared to talk about issues. I thought people were going to want to talk. when you're going door to door? When I'm going door to door. And I could count on the fingers of one hand the number of times that somebody asked me about issues. Mm. And I enjoyed the conversation and I talked to them about issues. But all they kind of want to do is make a personal connection. They're actually happy you came to them in person, especially mm-hmm. going through poor neighborhoods, you know, that, that I'd go to every door. Now, you hit the nail on the head. The personalization factor is something that I picked up uh, from a book called Guerrilla Marketing uh, when yeah. I was an independent musician. Right? They, they're like, okay, you got to figure out how to promote yourself and do all this stuff yourself yeah. right? because you got no label, you got no money, so you got to do things in a weird way. And so the, the lesson there is to personalize the experience as yeah, much and as it's, you can. It's marketing 101 to do what they call multiple touches. The first right. touch is I knock on the door. The second touch, they get a letter from my wife, and that kind of cements the name in their Follow head. Up. So it's kind of... Mm-hmm. But I just we relied on doing it ourselves. I wasn't just going to yeah. do it through billboards and TV. But, but they recognized that somebody went out of their way, and that's what makes people uh, sort of you know become a fan of yours. In yeah. your case, remember your name when it comes time to go vote. Mm-hmm. Oh, they yeah. went out of their way. They wrote a letter. They personally yeah. and, touched you know, me in some way. Um, people thought I would lose because I went hard against the mask mandates and the social distancing. My board of supervisors were As shutting a Democrat. down businesses. Yeah, yeah. so. <laughs> I actually opposed them, and they were all Democrats. Yeah. During the campaign, I said I would not enforce mask mandates, social distancing mandates, First Amendment, freedom of speech, freedom of association, freedom of assembly, freedom of religion, and all the churches is shut down and everything. So people told me, David, David, you should have just worn the mask. The mask, mm. you shot yourself in the foot. You're going to lose. But ultimately, just to show you how the message of freedom resonates, ultimately, I got four times as many votes as the guy who came in second place wow. of all the other candidates. Out of, so, six, out of six candidates. Out of six amazing. candidates. So ultimately, it didn't hurt me, but people thought as a Democrat, I was shooting myself in the foot by opposing yeah. the mask mandates. Mm-hmm. But you know, people saw it as nonsensical. They went along with it, not because they agreed with it. They just wanted to keep their head down and yep. not get in There's trouble. A lot of, there was a lot of that up here, too, I think, of the, the native population. How did you do in the general once you made it to you know whoever Republican the they knew was going to lose or yeah, whatever. There was, there was a um, an independent in the general election. Oh, and they not even a Republican? They don't even bother? No, they didn't. <laughs> this time, there's also six candidates. Uh, and an article in my hometown paper just came out today with uh, with an article. This time you mean you're running for re-election right, right now? now. Okay. Even though okay. the election's not till next year. It's a oh, four-year okay. four term. And this is very early. Most mm-hmm. people file in the election year. 
but there's already six candidates, wow. and there is a Republican this time. There's okay. four Democrats, one Independent, and one Republican. So um, it's going to be, but we're going to do the same thing. And I don't care if I win yeah. or lose. You know, sure. I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. My hopes and dreams aren't tied up in doing yeah, this. Yeah. You know, like um, I'd rather go out and work on the ranch anyway, mm-hmm. work on the well, fix fences, cut firewood. That's that's what I enjoy doing. But uh, so you know, it's not a concern for me. So how did and, you do against the Independent guy? In the, um, in the general, uh, can't remember. Very, very, you know, they very very few votes. There's hardly any Republicans in the county, mm-hmm. so uh, the people that voted for me in the primary you blew them away. Basically. Yeah, so yeah. so to speak, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> as Ricky would say. <laughs> uh, okay, so I want to come back to the sheriffs' association because it sounded like there oh, was yeah. more to that story. You said they came to you. They had this letter that they wanted you to sign on to because they needed all 15 sheriffs. And the letter was against, or rather, it was against the change to the civil asset forfeiture law, which ended up happening. The change right. happened, and so now they have to convict so, somebody. Ultimately, they issued the letter. They sent it to the governor. They sent it to all the legislators. Even though you didn't sign it. Even though I didn't sign mm-hmm. it. And it didn't show a list of signatures. Uh, it sort of suggested unanimity, mm-hmm. sort of suggested that it came from all the sheriffs in Arizona, but I never signed on to it. But so uh, 14 out of the 15 signed Yeah, exactly. It? Was there anything else they did to you after that or like, you know, your relationship with them? Is it- uh, they've they've largely shunned me largely on the border issues. Right, we'll talk about we can talk more. About it. Coming up here in moments. Also, I want to get into Nigeria and what's happened with the CBDC down there. It's Free Talk Live. Some of you have wanted to support Free Talk Live's mission on a monthly basis, but don't want to support Patreon. Now we have an alternative that also helps our premier streaming platform, Odyssey. Visit video.freetalklive.com and click join at the top of the channel. You can subscribe for $5 per month, and unlike other subscription services, Odyssey adds their processing fee on top, so it'll cost a little over $5 per month, but Free Talk Live will receive the entire amount you pledged. Higher donation tiers are available if you're feeling so inspired. You'll get a special membership badge that's visible in the Odyssey chat room, and if we get enough supporters, we may enable members-only chat. This new subscription method is a great way to decentralize our direct listener support away from just Patreon and also support a libertarian-run business, Odyssey. Please visit video.freetalklive.com and click join to subscribe to our Odyssey channel and help support spreading our message around the planet. Visit video.freetalklive.com and click join today. It is Free Talk Live and you can join us here live Saturday show. Phones are open at 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. Ian and the captain here as normal on a Saturday night. But uh, joining us, David Hathaway. He's the sheriff of Santa Cruz County. There's a new sheriff in town. Arizona. Uh, he is a newer sheriff there. They had a guy that was in there for a very well, long time. he's never time. been in town before. So He's never been to this town, yeah. that's for sure. Uh, never been to New England before this weekend. He's hanging out in Keene on the weekend. And uh, hopefully with many others, we'll be coming to my sentencing hearing with the federal government court on uh, in Concord at 10 a.m. on Monday. We were talking about becoming the sheriff, running as a Democrat in a heavily Democrat area, but you are a principled, liberty-minded guy. I mean, I don't know if you would describe yourself as libertarian, but you certainly wrote the book on libertarian immigration policy. You actually were a former advertiser of Free Talk Live. Tell us a little bit about the that book. Yeah, I would describe myself as a voluntarist. I, I like Excellent. that word. And 
What bothered me is kind of during the Ron Paul revolution, I found out about the Mises Institute and I would read all the, you know, Rothbard and Hans Hermann Hoppe and, uh, you know, all the Ludwig von Mises and all that. And it bothered me that these people seem to be, most of them, principled anarchist, you know, anarcho-capitalist, that they didn't want the government involved in any way in their life. And it was odd to me that multiple ones of them, of what I would call the uh, Austro-libertarians, were in favor of state-controlled borders. (laughs) And it still bothers me to this day. I still Mm -hmm. hear some of those people, my heroes, my friends, that, you know, I've I've hung out with them, I've gone out to dinner with them, still saying that Border Patrol's not getting enough money, we need to take the the money from the war in Ukraine and spend it on Border Patrol. And I, I think, like, wait a minute, you guys... Uh, you you have studied these economic textbooks that talk about how, you know, price signals are the secret to everything, you know, for people getting what they need. The government doesn't know. Central planning never works. The right. government can't tell you what you need. And yet, when it comes to borders, they want to become these macroeconomic central planners and decide how much labor you need, how much, you know, merchandise you need crossing borders. And the way I look at it, like I own land, you know, right near the uh, U.S.-Mexican border. Okay. Like, um, to me, you know, uh, border issues should be purely based on economic considerations, private property. Like, I have private property near the border. I should be able to rent a house to a Mexican if I want. Yes. You know, it's a voluntary interaction, or I should be able to hire a Mexican from Mexico to work in my business or to work on, you know, my ranch, mm-hmm. you know, Um I, I should just for social purposes, I should be able to invite somebody across the border to come onto my property. So um, I, I didn't know why, why they took that position. So what I did is this book that Ian's talking about, it's talking, it's called uh, Immigration um, Private Versus National Borders. And I dissect every argument that's used by these Austrian libertarians, which would unfortunately include people like uh, Hans Hermann Hoppe, Murray Rothbard, Lou Rockwell, yeah. Ron Paul, people who are my heroes. Who, yeah. and, and I love to read things they've written, but they came down hard on, on on the status position on immigration and on borders. But that's not every Austrian economi- right. economist is like that. Like Bob Higgs, he lives in Mexico. He's uh, one of the fellows at the Mises he's Institute. one of my heroes, like and, and as far as writing and stuff. Yeah, is he's concerned. excellent yeah. on that, and I have some of his quotes in my book. So why but, is the the blind spot there with these people? I mean, it just seems such an obvious oversight. How can they be so wrong when they're otherwise very principled individuals? I I hate to say, I hate to use the R word, I hate to say racism, because I would want these people, in my mind, you know, mm-hmm. they're not my heroes. I want them yeah. to be, you know, principled. But if you look if you look in depth at some of the things they've said, uh, they talk a lot about cultural destruction and about Northern mm-hmm. Europe um, uh, needs to have enforced borders and things that are based on, uh, you know, Western, Western society, Western civilization. Um Kind of an argument suggesting that some sort of cultural pollution is going to bring down, you know, Western civilization and that these people may not know better. These Northern Europeans uh, may be inviting to immigrants, but they don't know that this is going to destroy their culture. And those arguments are just mind boggling to me. So I go through that book. If you look at the table of contents in that book, it goes through every one of the issues that is raised by these Austro-Libertarians like Hans Hermann Hoppe, for example, this is just one of the things, you know, there's 
uh, one of his things is suggesting that we should have a king, um, a Democrat elected leader that acts like a king, that that says for the good of the country, I need to treat the whole country as my territory. And these people are, uh, because of their time preferences or because of their proclivity for certain lifestyles, they shouldn't be welcome in this country and we should mm. exclude them. And it's like, it's very weird that on every other area, even in his own writings, he's against central planning. And he says that, you know, collectivism never works. Uh, except. He, except in this one. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. And and there are, you know, economic principles um, uh, like there's. Uh, Plus, aren't the, they ignoring the, for- the Pareto principle? Yeah. Uh, and he, it's that you can have a Pareto inferior in Pareto Superior Pareto what is the optimality, Pareto? What is and the it's Pareto? a it's an economic rule saying if somebody is benefited, um, and if you have a transaction where only uh, where at least one side benefits and nobody's harmed, that's considered to be a Pareto superior transaction. Uh, a Pareto Pareto inferior transaction is if one side of the transaction is harmed, is compelled, is coerced to mm. do something. So, mm. um, when they per- apply the Pareto rule to any other aspect of you know economics. Uh, they will decide that government intervention is never good. Mm-hmm. But on the border issue, for some reason, the Pareto rule does not apply. Like one side can be harmed. Like me as a rancher, I can be prevented from hiring a Mexican that's willing to work for me and to work hard. Or I can be prevented from renting a house as a landlord to somebody from Mexico. So at least one side is harmed in, in that transaction, mm-hmm. probably both sides. But for some reason, these ultimate rules of economic reality don't apply to them when they're looking at immigration and borders. So that's what that book is about. Mm. I try to make it pretty simple and I try to only hit arguments that are related to Austrian economics and these certain Austrian economists that use these arguments. And I try to use a principled libertarian uh, viewpoint to disprove all those arguments one by one. So it's not a general book about borders and immigration. It's just my personal journey towards trying to understand why some of these uh, Austrian economists still want the state involved in national borders. And I go through their arguments one by mm-hmm. one to undo those arguments. What's the name of the book again and where can folks find it? Um, you can just go to Amazon or whatever. And I set it at the lowest price possible so I don't make any money. I think it's only like $3 or something on wow. there. But it's called, It's the author is David Hathaway and it's called Immigration, colon, uh, Individual versus National Borders. Nice. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. also one of my sort of sticking points with many uh, folks who claim, you know, voluntarist, libertarian, anarchist, whatever, those types of, of words. Like, I don't see how you can be principled and support state borders. Yeah. Like, well, it, you know, Harry, doesn't make any sense. Harry me. Brown, um, when he was running as a libertarian candidate for president, whenever that was in the 90s, I heard an ad on the radio. He said, if you ask anybody if they're in favor of freedom, they'll say yes. But then they'll have their one issue. They'll have that but, one thing that they want the government to do for them. And he said, look, why don't you give up your one pet issue that you want the government to do for you? And I'll give up mine and then we'll abolish the income tax. You know, so mm-hmm. it really yeah. is. I think most people on the street, if you walk down the street and said, are you in favor of freedom? They would say yes. Right. But sure. they'd have their one thing. You know, they want the government involved in education or in mm-hmm. border enforcement right. or the foreign wars or something. 
Well, and then I think it was uh, yeah Harry Brown and uh, Michael Cloud, who was his campaign manager. They talk about how when these people get elected, they go to the uh, you know state house or the the national legislature and. They focus on that one thing. They're not concerned with the freedom issue anymore. They right. want to focus it's, on the military getting bigger and, and or the border patrol. Or the medical, you know, free health insurance yeah. or whatever yeah. it is. But yeah. everything else, you should be free. And then, well, of course, everything ends up getting passed because they're all back scratching and log rolling. And, oh, well, you want this thing. Well, I want this thing. So we'll both vote together to get the thing. And then you end up with a huge government. The closest yeah. thing that I can come to anybody uh, sort of thinking uh, bordertarian style about things that happen within the United States, right? So each state, yeah. you can basically travel freely between, you know, I took a cross-country trip last year from here to Wisconsin and back, no problem, right? Nobody was worried about me coming and taking their job. Mm-hmm. In fact, I was going over there to, you know, watch a game, hang out with some friends, you know, that kind of stuff. So I'm spending money. They like the tourism dollars, no big deal. But, like, there are the closest thing I can get to that is, like, People who don't like uh, like the homeless migrations, right? The coming up from California yep. when they bust them up to like Seattle on the West Coast, stuff like that. That's the closest I can get. Outside of that, there is no. I've never heard anybody like, man, we here in Illinois, we're sure worried about people coming down from Wisconsin yeah, and taking and our jobs. Bob right? Murphy We've never heard any of that. Bob Murphy, an Austrian economist, has done various podcasts and various writings on that very point, how nobody within the U.S., you know, you're crossing borders all the time, yeah. you know, like from one town to another, one state to another, one county to another. And somehow there's not the suggestion raised usually that you're stealing our job. As a matter mm. of fact, within Austrian economics, you have the ideal of the idea of division of labor. The more fully you can extend the division of labor, um, everything gets more affordable, quality rises. Yeah. You know, if you let people specialize and do things that they're good at and they can produce an output at a, at a more efficient rate, more economically than someone else can, it's always good to allow uh, people to pursue a division of labor. And there's not a finite amount of wealth. Like in the U.S., mm-hmm. there's not a finite amount of wealth. If you have immigrant laborers come in, then you have a more fuller division of labor and actually things, you know, get more get affordable. Yeah. It's good for the consumer. I am yeah. a surprised, well, not surprised, but like I have noticed uh, here in the, we'll call it the southwest corner of New Hampshire. Uh, we've got, you know, Vermont to the left, to the west of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got uh, Massachusetts to the south, Connecticut just below that. Yeah. Uh, we've got Maine on the other side. Uh, the amount of cars that I see that are not New Hampshire plates right is amazing right mm. because we're at this sort of border of three or four different states right and people live over here and work over there or their mom lives over here and their dads or their jobs i mean like it is a total hodgepodge of you know what state are you in or from and it doesn't matter you're it's just people trying to get by trying to you know work their jobs raise their families you know send their kids to school all that kind of stuff And so, like, there is this massive cooperation that happens between these people from other borders. Yeah. Whoa, weird. And, you know, I've just kind of become a de facto border and immigration spokesman in my area because Mm -hmm. I have very large ports of entry. And the feds won't do interviews. They'll refer you to their PIO, their public information officer in Washington. So I try to be transparent and talk to everybody because it looks like I have something to hide if I don't. So. By being in that role, kind of becoming this de facto border spokesman, I do like some weeks, 20 interviews a week, and it's almost wow. entirely about the border. And it's wow. all national level media and about 
40% of it is Spanish media, Univision, mm. Telemundo, Azteca TV, Telemundo. since I speak Spanish. Um, but, like you know, saying. there's interesting statistics, like uh, kind of the conservative side will talk about an invasion and they're taking over our country. But if you look at like the last 12 months of census data, we've had the lowest rate of growth in the U.S. in the history of U.S. censuses. So really? they do kind of a one-year snapshot. They do the 10-year snapshot. But the last 12 months, there's only been a 0.1% growth rate of U.S. population from mm. all sources. So that's native-born Americans oh, wow. and immigrants. Whoa, yeah. So, um, And we have a very aging population. Yeah. So there is actually, uh, historically speaking, you could say a contracting, at least the rate is contracting of population growth. But they'll pretend like there's there's an invasion if that's what sells papers or that's what right. gets you votes, that we're being overwhelmed and taken over when it's kind of the opposite of that. Wow. I did not realize that. I mean, I did see some kind of statistic about there being 600,000 fewer births like in the last yeah. year compared to 15 years ago or something like that. So maybe I saw a headline recently that was a little more clickbaity, but it was like, uh, the United States better start having more babies real soon because mm-hmm. of this data where they're showing, you know, the boomers are dying off and people yeah. aren't having kids at the same rate and people aren't getting it's married and, and all that kind of stuff. So it's like you can point to a decline in the population, which some people say there's a conspiracy towards. Yep. Indeed. Uh, and now you've got, I think it actually came up when we were discussing the AI girlfriend phenomenon and and the idea that, you know, these loner types that are online all the time playing video games or whatever are, I mean, they weren't likely to go out and get a date in the first place. So I don't know if this is really going to make matters much worse, but yeah. the idea being that now they're going to sign up for these ai girlfriend services and never you know just basically take themselves out completely from the potential reproductive pool it so happens ian that i have that up on the census website on my phone on uh, the last 12 month data they have uh it came out in 2020 2022 but it's for 2021 and here's from the census.gov website the u.s population grew at a slower rate in 2021 than in any other year since the founding of the nation based on historical decennial census and annual population estimates. The U.S. Census Bureau vintage 2021 population estimates released today show that population grew only by 0.1%. Um, that has to be immigration related because if people aren't having babies like they used to, then you need to get people yeah. in here from the outside. And it says the year 2021 is the first time since 1937 that the U.S. population grew by fewer than one million people, featuring Jeez. the lowest nu- numeric growth rate seen since at least 1900 when the Census Bureau began annual population estimates. Mm. So it's... Uh, it, so, you know, when, when they talk about all oh, foreigners are overwhelming and taking over the U.S., like... Um, if you look at all sources, uh, native-born Americans and immigrants, it's just not true. That's uh, that's amazing. And also, you know, to come come back to this fear that they like to promote about all oh, the the culture, etc. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, immigrants are more likely by I think multiple factors than American native-borns to become entre- to be entrepreneurial, to come here and start their own businesses. Yeah, and they're also much less likely to go on public assistance. Like there's a statistic right? showing that native-born Americans are three times as likely to go on public assistance wow. than the immigrants are. Oh. The immigrants are coming here to work despite claims that they're all coming here to get on public assistance, mm-hmm. you know, and to 
live at taxpayer expense. And a lot of times, if they're truly what you would call, quote unquote, illegals or undocumented aliens, mm-hmm. um, they come here without a, birth, uh, a social security number. But a lot of times they need one to pass the e-verify process to get a job. So right. they will use an American social security number, which winds up paying into that American's account. But the mm. say, for example, if it's a Mexican, they never take benefits out of that account. They only right. do it so they can get the job and they send money you know, back to their family and usually intending to go return to Mexico to live where the cost of living is cheaper. So, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times they're paying in, but they're never getting anything out. But wow. that's not sensational enough. Um, right. You, yeah. <laughs> so, right. Right. Making up a number for a, a form isn't sensational. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that they would like to say they're all coming here to be a burden and to get on the welfare system. And uh, yet, of know. course, whenever we have them on the show and we corner them on this question of, well, shouldn't we just abolish the welfare system? Yep. Then they say, whoa, 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 whoa we yeah. can't do that. So that's that's back to the thing about the you know Austro libertarians. Um, isn't the principled position to just be against the state in all areas, like Hans yeah. Hermann Hoppe, Marie Rothbard, are against the state in all other areas? Well. Isn't the principal thing to do to just say, let's get rid of welfare? I like to use this exact analogy from my DEA days. We would notice that the the drug suppliers would increase their shipments on the first day of the month because that's when the welfare checks came in. So <laughs> yep. let's just say, for example, a little thought experiment that you didn't have a drug war yet, but you noticed that the drug supply increases when the welfare checks come in. It's like saying... We have a problem caused by one government program, so let's solve it by creating another government program, a drug war. Let's start a drug war Mm. to deal with the problems that are caused by the welfare checks coming in. You know, what's the saying? Idle hands is the devil's workshop. You know, it's kind of like saying, well... The the uh, the welfare checks are causing a drug problem, right. so let's start a drug war to deal with that. Why not just get rid of the first government program that caused the problem? Yeah, well, and people frequently mistake the state for a charity organization mm-hmm. when it comes to things like welfare. It is not. Uh, in fact, it takes money from people, keeps a hefty chunk off the top for themselves sure. and other friends, and then maybe a little bit might trickle down to somebody who actually needs it. Yeah, it's like the opposite, basically, of uh, an actual charitable organization as far as uh, Mary Ruart, I think, addresses this in her book, Healing Our World, Love that where book. you look at a charitable organization and typically you're seeing maybe 80 to 90 percent of the money they take in from donations is going to the actual purpose, right. whether it's helping poor people or whoever it is. They, the people who are intended to be helped, are getting eighty to ninety percent. Ten to twenty percent might be being kept for administrative costs, sure. paying people, paying the rent, or whatever. Uh, whereas with the government, it's more like twenty percent or ten percent goes to the people who quote unquote need help, and eighty percent and eighty percent is going to the justifying their existence. Right? Uh, because yep. you don't have the choice, and that's the key difference between charity and the government is with a charity, you get to choose whether or not to support them based on their works and what they show as far as results. And yep. with the government, if their works are terrible and their results are garbage, you still have to be uh, you have to you're forced to pay for them or they'll throw you in a cage. Yeah, and right? that's like a lot many people have the argument of, well, I care about the poor, so I want to pay my taxes. like, well, okay, if you really cared about the poor, you would, uh, come to the conclusion that you know l- through you know, doing your own research yeah. that uh, actual charity would provide more benefit to these people than mm-hmm. relying on government assistance. Yeah, and just do the direct direct assistance yourself, get the one hundred percent benefit, yep. and you could 
personally identify where the needs are. And if you wanted to have some verification process, you're helping a person get back on their feet, helping them to get a job, you know, help them to get, to get reestablished, you know, in and, society. And if this person goes, well, I just let government handle that for me. Well, now you're outsourcing your responsibility, right? Yeah, yeah you don't care. You don't actually care about the yeah. poor. You just want to think that you care about the poor because somebody's taking money out of your wallet. So, uh, speaking of uh, some poor people, Nigeria is not particularly known as a uh, a wealthy country. Uh, however, it may be on you know an upswing over time because the people of Nigeria are actually the most interested in Bitcoin more so than the entire rest of the world. There are more people who have purchased Bitcoin as a percentage of the population in Nigeria, in Nigeria than anywhere else on the planet. I was planet. not aware of that. Yeah, that's a that's a fact. I think it is over a third. The last I checked, I don't know where it is right now. It's been a couple of years since I looked. It's at not the because of that email I got about the Nigerian <laughs> king and leaving me some money, is it? No, I think it's like legitimate purchases. Oh, okay. of, I wonder uh, what their Bitcoin. currency was that they were using, or if they used multiple currencies. When I lived in South America, a lot of times there were multiple currencies. Mm-hmm. You know, I lived in two landlocked countries, Bolivia and Paraguay. And the dollar was used, and yep. there was the Guarani in Paraguay, the Boliviano in Bolivia, the Real in Brazil, Argentinian peso. And it was kind of neat. There was like a market uh, for currencies. And uh, usually the currencies of the individual country wasn't strong enough or they didn't have the ability to compel usage of their currency. So mm-hmm. I wonder in Nigeria, what, did was it a, a currency from their own country that was excellent question that's actually what we're going to be getting into here is what has happened in nigeria to the naira which is what their currency is called over there uh earlier in this year in this article from mises institute which we were just talking about a few moments ago uh gets into the the chaos i think for lack of a better term uh in nigeria in i think february of this year and they'll explain what happened where there were literally people in the streets with all kinds of implements destroying bank related property so bank atms banks you know storefronts windows uh signage all kinds of just absolute destruction going on in the streets of basically all the cities all across nigeria and it has to do with what the government was doing to the uh, to the money to the central bank money the uh, the naira they had introduced the so-called CBDC or the central bank digital currency in the last couple of years I think yeah I think it was and, uh, 2022 in December I was think. that when it came out uh, no the no. article I have says in December 22 the government uh, in Abuja if I'm pronouncing that right launched a total attack on cash. Uh, and that seems to be when this article from... Mises I don't think Institute. that's when the CBDC came out. I think it was actually before that. Uh, but we're going to learn more about it here in a moment because we covered the the riots, for lack of a better term. We'll call, we'll, let's call them the banking riots Sure. Uh, there. And I hadn't heard much else after that because I was wondering, okay, well, what has happened in Nigeria? This story from the Mises Institute gets into it. Uh, it gets into the history of what's happened and where it is right now. Uh, and the good news is, there's a little bit of good news, and that is that now the people of Nigeria can use the old Naira that they had been prohibited from using right, yeah. earlier this year, and that's what caused all the chaos. Backpedal, backpedal. Uh, and we'll get into that. So, they haven't abolished the CBDC. It looks like February of 23. We'll talk about yeah. it. Yeah, coming up here in moments. It's uh, it's fascinating look into what might have happened if they introduced a CBDC here in the United States. Uh more coming up.
get into Nigeria uh, with regard to the central bank digital currency. We're taking a field trip? CBDC. Unfortunately, no, Captain, I'm not allowed to leave New Hampshire. Oh, yeah, that's right. Um, But it's an interesting place. Uh, There's a lot of Bitcoin interest in Nigeria, as we were discussing a moment ago. And it's also the place, the first, I believe, country, or one of the first couple, to roll out the central bank digital currency, which a lot of countries, uh, governments, peoples, uh, central banks are talking about and or planning on doing. I think not a lot of listeners, when they hear Nigeria, are probably aware of the population. It's a couple hundred? 200 million people. Yeah. It is wow. a very big place. And what's uh, the U.S.? 300 something? 330, right. I think. So, right now, I yeah. mean, it's huge. Two thirds of the U.S. population wise? Wow. That's yeah. pretty big. Uh, with you in the studio, it's me, Ian. David. And the captain. David Hathaway is joining us here uh, from Arizona. He is a sheriff of a border county down there, elected sheriff in Santa Cruz County. And uh, so, you know, you know, you're. You're no stranger when it comes to immigration and things going on. We talked about that earlier. But let's jump into the story here from Mises.org because it is detailed and it's very, very interesting, especially for those of you out there. You've heard us talking about CBDCs a lot here, especially on the Saturday night show. We're very concerned with the introduction of this concept here in the United States. So let's look at what happened when they introduced it in a country of 200 million people in Africa. According to Mises.org, that's M-I-S-E-S.org. They say it's no coincidence, and by the way, this is Jan M. Fijor writing this, that Nigeria, with a population over two of over 200 million, became the first serious global testing ground for central bank digital currency implementation. Not only is it the wealthiest country on the continent where the globalists are making plans, but Nigeria also possesses significant hydrocarbon and metals reserves and talented citizens. For these reasons, it can serve as a relatively good example for the rest of the poorest continents. Geopolitical considerations are not insignificant. The Davos globalists, who've been present in Nigeria for some time, feel that if they do not take care of Nigeria, the Russians, uh, present there since the Soviet era, uh, era, will do it. Political interests in Nigeria are also being sought after by the Chinese, who have been building railways, roads, airports, and mining companies in Nigeria while simultaneously cultivating good relationships with tribal and political leaders. And, of course, we know that China is also in the process of implementing a CBDC. They do have it, but it hasn't been rolled out across the entirety of China quite yet. So here's a timeline of the establishment of the what is called the E-Naira. So the Naira is the Nigerian currency, N-A-I-R-A, and so the E-Naira is the electronic Nigerian central bank digital currency. Although the attempt to digitize the Nigerian currency ended in failure, it carries a lesson for the rest of the world. On October 25th of 2022, so about a year ago, one year after the national referendum on the establishment of the CBDC in Nigeria, in which 99.5% of the citizens voted against digitalizing the currency. That's, that's important. Like most people didn't want this. <laughs> <laughs> then the president of the country, Muhammadu Buhari, from the Fulani tribe, issued a decree that despite the opposition of the majority of the nation, the financial revolution would still take place. Now, so even though you didn't want it, we're going to do it anyway because we're the state. Yeah, and now that's interesting because I didn't realize that was true about the CBDC in Nigeria. I didn't know they actually had had a vote on this thing. But they're going to shove it down their throat anyway. Because remember when we talked about it, it was only like half a percentage of the portion of the population was even using the CBDC. So not only did the vote 
translate it the vote completely translated into reality like they were unable to sell even an extra 0.5 percent of the nigerian population on adopting this thing even after it came out to be fair this happens in the u.s as well when i was in the seattle washington area they destroyed whatever dome sports dome was there mm. uh they took a vote before they destroyed it of course they took a vote like how many people want the new sports facility and everybody's like nope to pay x billion yeah, dollars like it's right? gonna your taxes Taxpayer. are gonna go up and yeah. you know and everybody voted it down and it happened anyway. i can think wow. of a couple examples of that uh my county wanted to adopt this 75 page model um health uh, ordinance yeah. that had you know farmers markets had food had to be prepared in a commercial kitchen. Oh, they had a public God, comment right. period. Every single person, including us, yeah. was opposed to the idea. There mm. was not one person that was in favor of it. But since the health department presented the document to the board of supervisors, they went with it anyway, and they passed it. another example. The city that that we live near, Nogales, Arizona, wanted to annex my family's ranch and a bunch of other property uh, around us. Um, they had a public comment period. Yeah. Nobody was in favor of it. I spent ten thousand dollars of my own money doing billboards and advertising and radio interviews to oppose it. Yeah, and we eventually got it shut down. But when wow. nobody was in favor of it. The government went ahead and did it anyway, like they had public comment period. No comments in favor of annexation. Went ahead with the plan anyway. Sorry. Same, same thing happened here with the Bearcat years ago, oh, a decade yeah. ago, where 80 to 90 percent were on the record against this. That's what the city councilors were saying. They were getting 80 to 90 percent of their contacts were against the Bearcat, which is a tank, basically. It is. The, that's an armored personnel carrier for the police. And they passed it overwhelmingly just because the cops wanted it. Everyone that spoke at the... Uh, council meeting about it spoke against it with the exception of the police (laughs) that's literally how that went anyway uh so back to nigeria in december of 2022 the government in abuja launched a total attack on cash the situation resembled events from 2016 in india where the the government demonetized the highest denomination banknotes so that's like when the u.s government in the name of the war on drugs if i recall correctly took out the $500 and the $1,000 notes. Right. That happened uh, a long time ago. That was what, like 70s or something like that? I don't even know when they did that. It was, it was a before long time, my lifetime. maybe 45, 50 years, something yeah. like that. Um, so they did the same thing uh, there where they just got rid of the higher level banknotes just to make currency even more you know, useless and frustrating for people. Uh, they announced that by the end of January of 2023... And to supposedly prevent inflation. If you can't have more zeros on your money, then it'll retain its value. I don't think that was the given reason for it. Uh, but by the end of supposedly. January 2023, and that was later extended to February 10th, Nigeria would fully transition from physical cash to e-Naira, the central bank's digital currency. People were required to transfer their cash holdings to the central bank, which would service them under the new monetary regime. The executive order was carried out by then-governor of the CBN, Godwin M. Philly, from the Igbo tribe, a general and the only Christian in the country's Islamic ruling elite. Well-informed sources claimed that the guidelines, both in know-how and digitalization supervision, were provided by circles close to the International Monetary Fund and the World Economic Forum and even the Bureau of Industry and Security. All the usual criminals. When in February, when on February 10th arrived and about 80% of the $7.2 billion previously in private hands ended up in digital accounts as the CBDC, the poorer segment of the population, over half of the people, still did not have bank accounts. 
Despite assurances from the CBN that the physical cash would not be eliminated until the CBDC was fully operational, half of the nation was left with old, worthless banknotes. Commuters to and from the capital were left without cash to pay for their return transportation. Many small businesses, a significant part of the economy that relies on cash payments, closed because their customers had no money to pay. So wait, this is the result of people turning their cash into the banks to get credits in their CBDC accounts? That's what they're or saying did here. the government just, you know, we're taking the cash off the streets whenever it came in and never put it back out? That's what it sounds like they're saying here. And this part of the story I was not aware of. So, uh, you know, once we get to the part that I was aware of, which was that they were introducing new banknotes. Sure. The, the story, what, what we were reporting. Oh, we should continue. That's fine. Yeah, the just... story we were reporting was that there was a new Naira, not a digital one. That's a, th- a separate thing. But there was an actual new physical Naira that they wanted people to swap out. And then they then they said, oh, whoops. We don't have enough of these new Naira for to, to handle all the people yeah. swapping the old Naira. And that's what supposedly set people out into the streets because they couldn't get usable currency and they're not willing to use the, the e-Naira. I think there's more on that later. Yeah. So February 10th, when it arrived, and again, a lot of people didn't have the, uh, the bank accounts right. in order to have the CBDC. It says here, commuters to and from the capital were left without cash to pay for transportation Businesses shut down. It's easy to understand why violent riots erupted in the country on February 16th, resulting in casualties. Deprived of their entire wealth, desperate and hungry people took to the streets, demanding the reinstatement of the validity of the old paper currency. Rumors circulated that the Bihari government had issued a new paper currency, the new Naira, to be used temporarily. By the end of January 2023, transactions using e-Naira were operating smoothly, but were limited to representatives of the middle class, totaling just 35 to 40 million people in Nigeria. The vast majority of Nigerians who used cash in their daily lives ran around fruitlessly searching to exchange their old money for anything they could eat. The rumor that Bihari's government issued new currency was confirmed in the last days of January 2023. Okay. The problem was the new cash was nowhere to be found. Even today, when the central bank has withdrawn from the experiment, the supply of new cash did not even reach 10% of the entire Nigerian currency supply. There is no new money anywhere. And even if it were, there's no possibility of mass exchanging the old invalidated Naira for the new. Despite the events of February 16th, the government acknowledged that the, quote, newly issued currency is intended to meet the demands of the protesters and restore their purchasing power. So that's interesting. That that aspect was not covered at all in the whatever coverage we were reading the previous, right. of the, the riots that were going on. What we had read was that the government had made this announcement, all right, y'all, you got this these old currency, and we're going to replace it with this new currency. So, like, remember in the 90s when they had the the dollars here in the United States where the, the faces on it or the the portraits were small? Yep. And then they blew it up to, like, really big? Remember right. when that switch It was the redesign happened? of the dollar, and so all of the yeah. old ones were getting exchanged at banks or whatever, and the new ones are put into circulation. Right. So we've been through something like what they're talking about here, but the way they handled it there was they basically said, okay— we're introducing this new Naira. We're going to cut off your legal ability to use the old Naira, which they didn't do here, right? It just took two decades or whatever, and they finally filtered out the old stuff and they put out the new stuff. But in Nigeria, they said, 
we're cutting these old Naira off. You won't be able to use them anymore. So if you've got Naira under your, your your mattress, if you've got it, you know, shoved in the car or wherever in the glove box, you need to get the old Naira out from storage. You need to come down to your local bank and switch it out for the new Naira. Now, the theory was that this was all, you know, essentially a ruse to get people onto the e Naira or the CBDC. Like, oh, whoops. We're out of the new Naira. Turns out we don't have enough of it, but we have this electronic e-Naira over here. So let's say we just open you up a bank account here and you can just get on the e-Naira system. That seemed to be kind of the pitch or what was going on, but they didn't expect people to take to the streets and start busting up the banks, well, literally. And I don't want to get ahead, but this seems very uh, Hegelian dialectic. Problem solution. Problem reaction solution. Reaction solution. So like they've created this problem. Right. Okay. Well, we're going to issue the the e currency, and then we're going to like no longer uh, recognize the cash that's floating around, mm-hmm. and now it creates this problem. What it's happens? A huge next? problem. Yeah. So apparently, what happened, according to Mises dot org, again the government announcing that the new currency was to meet the demands of the protesters acting as though they'd never had a plan to right. have the new currency. Now we're going to solve the problem. Right? Even the brightest Nigerians were unable to understand how the government planned to eliminate the existing cash and issue new money just a few weeks before the general elections that were scheduled for February 24th. Didn't the government risk an obvious defeat amidst the chaos? Well, no. The new cash was the guarantee of electoral victory. It was intended to be distributed to the poor, but significant majority, so they would know who to vote for democratically. Yeah, so nothing makes people vote for you more than like, here, I'll give you money. As predicted, the new president of Nigeria is a representative of the ruling party, the very same one responsible for the chaos. It's important to note that we're talking about a country that was already struggling with a currency crisis, soaring inflation and fuel shortages, despite being Africa's largest oil producer where a severe lack of money and never-ending queues at ATMs have been prevalent for years. Even dollars were scarce, despite black market premiums. The situation of uncertainty and danger persisted for three and a half months until the inauguration of the new president, Bola Ahmed Tinubu from the Yoruba tribe, a former civilian governor of the Lagos state. On May 29th, of this year, approximately 108 days after the actual cash elimination, the new president, President Tinubu, restored the validity of the old currency alongside the new Naira and the e-Naira. So it took him 108 days. These people were, you know, having to scrape for anything they could possibly get a hold of that businesses that were still open yeah. would be willing to accept in order to buy food. Uh, and then finally, the government decided, okay, we decided you can use the old Naira again because they were sick and tired of people destroying the banks, I suppose, and yeah, the know, riots. I, I think when the CBDC gets rolled out here, at first, it'll be sold as there's no restrictive aspects to it. There's no social credit score. Of course there's no, not. That would never happen You're doing happen the wrong here. thing. You're buying a gun, but you're not going to a FFL dealer. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it'll just be, uh, you know, the carrot. Without the stick, it'll be like, you know, you're underprivileged, you're a student, um, you need some relief on your college expenses, on your student loans, you're poor and you need you need some more food Um, and it'll all be uh, here. We're going to add some money to your account, to your digital wallet. Right. And, you know, and then 
when everybody gets hooked on it, then the kind of the restrictions, you know, the behavior yeah. monitoring. It'll be like the, the old AOL CDs. They're just going to show up uh, in your mailbox, yeah, exactly. addressed to you, and going to have 500 bucks on it or whatever. <laughs> yeah, you know what's really funny? Speaking of digital wallets, like I checked my on, on my phone today, my online Wells Fargo account mm -hmm. today, just to make sure that they didn't do as they've done before, like shut off my card if I'm on a trip or something right, like that. Yeah. Because, oh, you're outside of your normal area. You shouldn't be able to, you know, spend, We're protecting spend your money. You. But anyway, so I hadn't looked at it in a while. And on the menu bar, there was a new option called digital wallet. And mm. I thought, okay, they think mean? there may be some weirdos out there that have heard of this Bitcoin thing. You know, they've heard of the blockchain. Yeah. So maybe people will get enticed into thinking digital wallet has some like magic cachet to it so you know i went and read about it and mm -hmm. all it is is just spending your regular dollars and then just your phone generates a qr code that you can slap down oh it's on the a tap scanner. and scan yeah, yeah. But, but it's uh. like they they know people have heard this like maybe you're kind of living on the wild side if you have a digital <laughs> wallet but it's nothing different than uh, then you know like the, a Venmo or, or something. Or, yeah, yeah, Venmo or where mm -hmm. you just tap your phone or use your debit card with the chip in it. They just that. updated but, the app a little bit. Yeah, but yeah. they I, there's this kind of sense that, well, maybe we're doing it too. Maybe kind of like you know we're doing blockchain too <laughs> right, over here yeah. at Wells Fargo, but it's the you same. Know they're not. It's the same Federal Reserve money that they're pumping out, and they have no limits. You know the fractional reserve banking. That's just the beta for the upcoming uh, U.S. CBDC. Yeah, that digital wallet. Well, you know, it is. Well, right. and, infrastructure. and it's nothing like a digital wallet, but they know people have heard that. They yeah. know people have watched the news and think, "Oh, what is this mysterious new thing that the youngins are talking about?" Yeah, you the know? politicians and the media have done a really good job of confusing people by using terminology like digital wallet, yeah, instead Blockchain, of yeah. crypto wallet, right? Yeah. So, like, people conf conflate the two because they're oh. Well, Bitcoin's a digital currency. It's well, already okay. happening where the, the mainstream media, when talking about CBDCs, will use the term cryptocurrency interchangeable right. with a CBDC. Oh, and yeah. That is not what the C's no. in CBDC yeah. stands for. Right. Yeah. It's central bank digital currency. They have complete control over it. You mentioned a beta of the CBDC. Well, that's what is going on in Nigeria, right? Yeah. So they have a CBDC. They rolled it out. Yep. And they tried the maximum force kind of push of the cbdc just i think they just wanted to see what would happen sure like are are these people going to rise up yeah. when we force them to use the cbdc and software and they we call did. this a test bed yeah. yeah and they and they did and it's a big test bed 200 million people in the rich apparently the richest country in africa this was a big move by these central bankers it didn't work because the people in Africa would not put up with this. They want to, you know, buy food for their family. Turns out people want that sort of thing. And they were willing to go and literally smash up the banks. Go look up the footage of this. I mean, it's absolutely amazing some of the stuff that we saw happening. So they're not going to want this to happen in the United States. Yeah. Okay? It's kind of why I think it, when I've seen and I've lived in third world countries that had competing currencies all around them, when it's kind of good when not one currency is is in control. So, so dominant and so in control yeah. and so overwhelmingly in use. Even some of those little third world countries, their currency could completely fail and has completely failed, like yeah. in Latin America, and they can easily adopt the currency of the neighboring country or dollars or something mm -hmm. else or yen or whatever, euros, whatever's out there. Right. All those things circulate like in South America. But a country like the U.S. that has more of a death grip on, you know, legal tender laws and, and right. the banking system and, you know, KYC, you know, your customer and all this and the ability to 
to drop the OFAC bomb, you know, the Office of Foreign Asset Control, where they mm-hmm. can just declare a banking institution to be suspect because of some partnering uh, institution that has another country, and they can just uh, shut down banking institutions very sure. easily. Yep. Um, and then, you know, if that happened in the U.S., I don't think people would just readily shift to using the euro or they wouldn't even know there's that know option how. but other yeah. foreigners are used to doing that right that's a good point and also that's the reason why the u.s federal government gang is going so hard against cryptocurrency because it is an alternative mm-hmm. people are learning about it they are adopting it slowly it, it is as easy as downloading an app and figuring out how to operate yeah. that app but they see the threat from that and they know it's a real threat to the dominance of the dollar within the united states now the dollar is being threatened its dominance on the world stage and that's a whole different matter and we've yeah. talked about bricks and all that but let's focus a little more on Nigeria here. So why do they do this? Why, after 108 days of this experiment of trying to force people to use the e-Naira, did they change it? Uh, he says here at uh, Mises.org, was the president, the new president, forced to do so by overseers of the experiment from the IMF, the Fed, or the World Economic Forum? If so, why did it take them three and a half months to condemn 100 million people to starvation? Political observers in Abuja believe that no one intervened. President Bola Tinubu put an end to the experiment and stuck to his position. Once he invalidated the CBDC, he ordered an investigation into the Central Bank of Nigeria, resulting in the unprecedented detention of the former CBN governor, Godwin Emifil, and on June 10th of this year... Oh, sorry, he was arrested on June 10th. In late July, the court released him from custody, but the security service rearrested him and is holding him in custody. The investigation is ongoing. So imagine the Federal Reserve chairman being arrested here in the United States. I wouldn't be surprised, but like... No way. That'll never happen. I mean, I would be surprised, yeah. but like, I'm not surprised that, you know, once somebody conducts a, an investigation into central banks that they find, all oh, these guys are crooks. Yeah. Yeah. I, and then... Surprise. I could see that happening in the U.S. if it got really to the point where everything's really, really totally falling apart, mm. where somebody... You know, Caesar claims that his hands were clean all along, mm-hmm. and there's these other duty, dirty scoundrels that are running these federal Somebody agencies. else takes the fall. Somebody else takes the fall, mm-hmm. yeah. There's more uh, to say about what has happened in Nigeria, but have they really shut down the CBDC? That's what the article here suggests, but it also says that the president restored the validity of the old currency alongside the new Naira and the e-Naira. So has it really been shut down or is it still lurking out there? Uh, there's more coming up here. You can share your thoughts with us here on Free Talk Live. Yeah! It is Free Talk Live and you can join the show here if you want to comment whatever's on your mind, although we are talking about the CBDC, the Central Bank Digital Currency, something that unfortunately you are likely to hear more about in the mainstream media over time as they get closer and closer to finally announcing what seems like an inevitability in the United States, uh, but it has not yet been announced. They've been experimenting. They've uh, had, I think it was MIT and some other programmer types have cooked up a purported what could look like here in the United States to have a CBDC, some sort of system of They've software. been running simulations for years. At least the last couple of years, they have indeed been doing that. But all of this has been happening 
sort of as they've been trying to figure out whether or not supposedly they want to move forward with this. Congress has not yet authorized such a move, and presumably they would need to do so in order for this concept to move forward. And what is the CBDC, uh, CBDC concept? Do either of you want to try to explain for our listeners what well, that whatever means? it is, what we have now of the paper currency, and I think what is it over ninety nine percent of actual dollars are are not in paper form, but it's right. so beyond what the Constitution envisioned. You know, mm-hmm. of gold and silver uh, coinage. Um, you know that, that it's so far beyond what the founding fathers you know anticipated. That you know, I don't know what what it could wind up turning into next. Well, to me, uh, if Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, decentralized currency, uh, is a uh, a money of the people, mm-hmm. right? Then uh, privacy coins like I don't know Monero, for example, are freedom coin, okay. right? Yep. CBDCs are slave coin. I like that, right? Uh, because somebody else controls it and wants to control you with it. That's mm-hmm. where it's coming from. That's what it's designed to do. Why you would support anything like that, I'll never know. Uh, there's already plenty of cryptocurrency options. There's stuff called stable coins. Mm-hmm. There are several of them that are pegged to the value of the U.S. dollar. And so if you want to transact in dollars or arbitrage or anything like that, you can do so. And, David, you made a great point. The U.S. dollar already exists mainly in the digital domain. And as we were talking about on the, on the, the break, Captain, when these uh, – these you know central bank digital currencies come along um nobody's going to want if they're convertible to bitcoin if they're convertible to decentralized blockchain based mm-hmm. digital currencies there's nothing that would prevent all the value from flowing into say something like bitcoin or dash um because that's not inflatable right. and it's never going to have a social restriction on how you can use it um and it's, uh, you know, it can be used for anything. So, you know, I don't, I think they're going to have to come up with something that precludes people from ever converting all of these currencies, all these digital currencies, these state-run digital currencies into a private-based, uh, you know, version of a cryptocurrency. Well, I, I mentioned this off the air during the, the break, and that is that they're uh, Chase Bank, one of the largest, probably top three, I think it's number two or something like that, banks in yeah. the United States, uh, recently sent out a notice to all of their customers saying, for your protection, <laughs> we're going to be prohibiting you from buying cryptocurrency with your Chase Bank account if you feel the need to buy crypto. But we recommend against it because there's a lot of fraud and scams in crypto. They literally say this in this. I don't have the exact terms, but I'm yeah. paraphrasing it. Well, if you do insist on buying crypto, you'll have to find another bank in order to do that. And so, of course, this will likely happen with more of the big banks. But at a CBDC level, they'll just simply block any transactions to Kraken or Coinbase right. or, you know, you name it, whatever uh, known cryptocurrency exchanges are out there. And, of course, they'll still still be putting into prison people like the Crypto Six and Mark Riz, uh, Hopkins and these other people who are doing what you call peer-to-peer uh, sales of cryptocurrency. So they're going to keep this crackdown going. And I think you're absolutely right, David, that uh, CBDC will be prohibited from uh, being used from for buying its comp- competition. Well, That's and of fair. course, uh, they will say that, well, you don't need cryptocurrency now because mm-hmm. we're yeah. giving you this CBDC. It's just like Bitcoin. <laughs> no, it isn't. <laughs> Digital. No, it isn't. Yeah. And there's a lot of reasons why it's not. But anyway, so the idea of the CBDC gives them, they being the central bank and the federal government thugs, 
total control over your money. They can ban you from buying certain things. They can punish you for doing certain things or saying certain things, having certain opinions or whatever. And as you said, David, they probably won't start with that program, but that may be coming later on once people start using the CBDC, once they start getting used to it, once they start issuing welfare payments on the CBDC or tax returns and yeah. you know all these government issuances will start coming in or UBI, the uh, basic income idea, all these things will likely be put on the CBDC. Yeah, they got a nice pilot of that too, the uh, U- UBI during mm-hmm. the COVID when they sent everybody there. Yep. You know, what was it? 1200 bucks total, oh, right? Two thing, different yeah. checks. It was yeah. like 600 and... You I know, think there was like a 1200 or Or the 12 and 6 yeah. or something. I don't remember what it was. But yeah, they got to issue folks money. Now, for me personally, uh, the first payment that I got uh, was on a paper check. Mm-hmm. And I just deposited it into my bank account. Sure. Like you do with a check. But the next one came to me as a prepaid debit card. Mm. Uh, it had the Visa logo on it, I believe, or mm-hmm. MasterCard, one of the two, the top two anyway. And uh, I had to go online and figure out where I could go to extract that amount of USD cash without paying a fee. Mm -hmm. Because if you just took it to your bank and were like, hey, I got this from the government, can I have my money? Nope, And they'd be like, no, we're going to take a cut and give you what's left over. Like, well, wait a minute, this is supposed to be a government-issued thing. Why are you taking a cut? Oh, well, because we bankers have to service these accounts, you see. And so there was only like a couple of like i think pharmacies and like one grocery store that had the appropriate branded atm mm-hmm. that you could take this card into and get your cash out without being charged a fee the caveat here is that even though you could go to that atm and do that without and get your full let's say it was the twelve hundred dollar you could only pull out like 300 bucks at a time yeah. per day you but, know it's funny when we got our whatever it's called stimulus check yeah um I'm pointing to my my wife, Karen. She remembers this. Um, we got a paper check, and we've never given the federal government on any tax forms any bank account information mm. ever. And then the second one came in direct deposit to our bank account. Whoa. And we, we, we oh, still haven't figured creepy. out to this day how they got the routing number, how they got the bank account. Oh, uh, that's creepy. Somehow it's all interconnected. Well, maybe when you deposited the check, they noted where oh, it went yeah, or something it could like be. that. Yeah. Uh, and you were talking about this the other night, the uh, the card that you had gotten captain and the divvying up the <laughs> yeah. payments and and all that and it was actually in the context of atm restrictions when you brought that story up before and that same thing and i don't think this article mentions it but that same thing happened in nigeria and i don't know what the current status is of the atm restrictions but remember people were smashing the atms in nigeria during these banking riots yeah. and part of that reason was because the nigerian government had said remember you can come in and turn in your old Nigerian Naira and we'll give you the new Naira, except we're only going to let you pull out $40 a day on the ATM. Yeah, so, so if you come yeah. in with like 10 grand and they're like, okay, there's 10 grand in your account, they're like, <laughs> yeah. and you're like, great, can I pull 10 grand out? They're like, nope, nope sorry. sorry you you got to go to the ATM yeah. and you can only get 40 bucks. Right, and the line's wrapping around the block, <laughs> right. by the way, because everybody needs the new currency to buy food, and it was an absolute nightmare. So after 108 days, according to Mises.org, the new president ended the, quote, experiment, and he allowed the validity of the old currency which they were trying to get everybody to turn in and cash in because most people don't have bank accounts in nigeria so most people had physical currency stashed somewhere right right and that's what they really wanted they really wanted people to come in 
get banked, become part of the system, put all your money in our system, and get out the e-Naira instead. Isn't that, uh, didn't the U.S. demand everybody to turn in their gold at some point? They did. As a you know, when, of I, worked, very familiar when I worked in foreign embassies in South America, it was always a big thing that the ambassadors would talk about is uh, ungoverned spaces and informal economies. Like one of their big pushes, you know, they would subsidize foreign law enforcement agencies to try to attack people that were working in the informal economy, the black markets, mm-hmm. the gray markets, you know, uh, when they, they like to say ungoverned spaces, suggesting that everybody's like a terrorist and, <laughs> you know, an evil drug lord. Yes, in, this in babysitter these, over here is a terrorist. This lady making tacos. <laughs> yeah, and but it's actually, that's one of the great things about Latin America. You can look at the law books and think I'm moving to a very draconian environment with a very, you know, bureaucratic, a lot of red tape. But when you go there, I'm sure Mark has noticed that mm-hmm. very little of that is enforced. There's a whole lot of what you would call informality. Yeah. That yeah, you're supposed to pay taxes for taxes for everything. It sounds worse than the U.S. on paper, but actually, uh, you know, it's it's easy to own a gun. It's easy to go to a drugstore and get whatever you want. You right. know, um, mm-hmm. and it's easy to do things without taxes. All the the black markets down there where everyone does their shopping. When my wife and I would go shopping, there's this common thing they say: Do you want Con factura or sin factura. That means, do you want the government receipt that shows you paid your taxes, or you just want a piece of paper that says how much you paid? And so everybody said, the below board. Yeah, yeah. Sin factura. In other words, uh, give me the receipt. And even the cops that would do all their shopping in the black markets, the same things. No one's going to be dumb enough to pay the taxes. So it's amazing. You know, you can have all these regulations in these countries, but what matters is what's really enforced. Yeah. So uh, Nigeria ended the mandate that people didn't have to use, that they were no longer able to use uh, the old currency. They allowed people to use the old currency again, and all of a sudden people can eat again, right? So they arrested the central banker, and they're prosecuting him apparently. He's currently in custody. And they say here at Mises.org, influential protectors from the International Monetary Fund, the Federal Reserve, and even the White House, which singled out Nigeria as the global debutante of currency digitalization, Remain silent. From the perspective of the start of the monetary experiment in Nigeria, it appears that the government in Abuja had neither the appetite nor a clear plan for this digitalization. The advisors from the World Economic Forum, the IMF, or perhaps the Bureau of Industry and Security, lacked a plan as well, despite their strong adherence to digitalization strategies. Why didn't these overseers react and halt the digitalization? Was there another purpose for it? Depriving 100 million people of their means to live for three and a half months borders on an act of genocide. Yet, a tragedy did not occur. How did poor Nigerians survive for three and a half months without money, reserves, or any help from the state? Great question. Nigerians, unlike most residents of the group of seven countries, don't believe a word their government representatives say. (laughs) Yay, Nigerians! (laughs) Feeling deceived once again when it became clear that neither the old nor the new Naira worked, people took to the streets. Shots were fired and a few people died. In response to refusals to accept their old cash, which was invalidated at the end of January, people without bank accounts, legal cash, or any savings resorted to traditional methods, barter and trade credit. Matchstick holders exchanged them for yams with farmers. Soap producers traded for fuel and small business owners extended longer credit terms to their contractors. Teachers and cleaners from local schools sought help, mainly food, from the families of their students. Nigerians' natural lack of faith in statism, something wealthy citizens of Germany or Canada might consider imprudent, prevented a similar outcome as that of the Canadian Freedom Convoy. 
It is, after all, due to their country's monetary policy that German retirees are experiencing difficulties. According to Nigerians, a weak small state might not help them, but at least the value-added tax in Nigeria is at most 5%, and tax collections do not exceed 25%. Healthcare may be deficient, but people have more trust in their shamans than the board and big pharma-corrupted doctors. Speeding fines are rare due to a lack of police officers, but there's no labor inspection, and no one forces anyone to take an experimental vaccine. Tribal groups, rural authorities, and neighbors provided assistance. Families, which in African life are the ultimate support, helped. Self-help was the basis of survival for the Nigerians deprived of any assistance. The author says, I'm writing this because soon much more status nations will undergo similar currency digitalization. And I think that's where mm, voluntarist types, libertarians, anarchists, whatever, uh, have an edge over the rest of the world right now, because that's part of the, sort of the libertarian ethos right now is homestead, grow your own, raise your own, mm-hmm. you know, be self-sufficient as much as possible because that's how we survive these kinds of things. And right. that thing is coming. We know it is. It's just a matter of time with the U S dollar, right? It's, it's not a question of if it's going to so crash. When? It's just when, right? They've been kicking that can down the road for all of my life. But of course the value of the dollar continues to go down on a daily basis. So, how far can they kick it down the road before it finally tanks? I don't, we know, don't know. But that's why it's important to have these uh, alternative infrastructures. Yeah, and and practice with them, too. It's, yes, it's, absolutely. You know, it's one thing to stack up gold bars in a safe or bury them in the backyard or, or whatever, uh, but it's a whole other thing to actually go out there and use them and bring, you know, get those gold backs, go to the farmer's market, uh, try to ask people if they will accept them. Certainly cultivating relationships within the liberty community. And we certainly have that here in New Hampshire where if you're in the liberty community here and you offer a product or service, you're off, you're offering it likely with multiple currencies that you're willing oh, yeah. to accept. Yeah. Because a lot of people are going to ask you, do you take cryptocurrency? Do you take gold back? So this is something we're practiced at up here, and it's something that more people need to consider doing. That way you're not caught completely inexperienced with these things when the time comes. I like Jay Noon, how, you know, when I listen to Free Talk Live, he quite often talk, talks about making uh, arrangements to buy bales of hay or to mm-hmm. buy and sell meat, you know, and to propose using these uh, little uh, barter pieces of silver or the yeah. gold backs. And yep. um, and it kind of surprises me how often he has success just yeah. in, in proposing that to people who maybe aren't part of the liberty community, but right. they go precious metals. They recognize that and see what it is. And just something you said, um, Ian, about people in foreign countries kind of knowing about relying on each other, taking care of uh, themselves. My wife and I were sitting at Taco Bell today, and next to us was a a woman, obviously from Africa, speaking some African language, mostly Mm. that we didn't understand. Mm. But every now and then there was bits of English, and she was talking about money. She was sending to different people. And a thing that she said was that she couldn't cut in these areas. She says, I have to send money to my mother, you know, back in Africa. And that part was in English. And, you know, that whoever she was talking to on the phone about – that, that was having financial demands or, you know, shared costs for roommates or whatever it was. Just that sense that's kind of been lost in the U.S. with Social Security and all the other, uh, you know, uh, forms of, you know, subsidized living from, from the government. People have kind of lost that feeling of family relying on each other yeah. and neighbors taking care of each other and not 
doing a conduit through the government before an old person is taken care of. Right. But, you know, we notice that in South America as well. You know, they don't have the the, the social security network and, you know, Medi- Medicare provided, you know, long-term care for nursing homes. So people have their aging mom or their grandma living with them at home. You know, it's just kind of right. part of, you know, people that live closer to reality, um, you know, uh, realize that neighbors and family needs to rely on each other. So the final wrap-up here from Mises.org is the situation in Lagos, Abuja, and Port Harcourt is returning to normal, and the e-Naira is one of several legal currencies. Okay, so, so confirmed, so it still exists. All three. So the old Naira, the new Naira, the new Naira and the e-Naira all now exist. So two Correct. more currencies have emerged from what was going to be one replacing the But still the, the other. crappy government sure. money, just three different All ways three to pay. of them are crappy government money, yes. After the U.S. dollar exchange rate was freed, black market prices fell to the official level. The Nigerian exchange group expressed in U.S. dollars has risen by 37% so far in 2023. Naira inflation is declining faster than inflation in the U.S. Since the central banker's arrest, the specter of the CBDC monopoly has disappeared. Those who find electronic money more convenient can use it. When that convenience is lost, they will switch to cash or its digital alternative. And people now know that there wouldn't have been such chaos if the currency digitalization was voluntary and not accompanied by cash delegalization. Will Nigeria's case help other global bankers, central bankers, and citizens arrive at a similar conclusion? Probably not. So we await the next economic disaster. (laughs) What I find most enthusiastic about real cryptocurrencies uh, bitcoin and mm-hmm. you know monero things of that nature uh, dash just you know to an extent that they're the most spendable one uh, is that whatever governments do or don't do right uh, cryptocurrency is only going to grow it's a superior product right it's mm-hmm. not owned it's not controlled it just is it just exists without permission uh, and it does its job and it does it better than well any other currency planet earth has ever seen before uh, not to mention that We've only touched the tip of the iceberg with the technology, the blockchain sure. itself, right? So the, the, this is just the first thing that blockchain has produced that is uh, recognizable and uh, life-changing to most humans. So governments right now, what we're seeing with this thing in Nigeria and the CBDCs, we're seeing them playing catch-up, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. They're not going to be able to do it. They're too slow. They've governments are lumbering yep. giant oafs that, you know, one big leg in the ground and then they mm-hmm. wail another big leg in the ground they're never going to catch up to free technology the money of the people that's the good news it's just it's just never going to happen that doesn't mean they're not going to make it difficult oh they are certainly like we're in the throes of the death of the empire right mm-hmm. uh, i don't know how close we are to mimicking rome but the empire is certainly on its way out based on fiat currency just existing Right. This is what empires do. If you look at history, once the fiat currency uh, shows up and it starts getting devalued, well, the end of the empire is near. This well, is usually war and war- global conflict helps with that. Right. Like spreading your troops all over the planet. That usually helps accelerate the, right. the fall of so the currency. As they continue to conduct these experiments to see if they can get in on this action figure out how they can control mm-hmm. it and control us by mimicking something that is free, freely existing without permission, uh, it's only going to increase adoption of the thing that they're trying to get in on the action of. So and, the Bitcoin and, cryptocurrency will be adopted more as they fail at these experiments. And you know the tyrants right now are 
gathering the troops together and try to study like this is the Nigerian experiment. What are the lessons learned? Right. You know, they're not going to say, hey, this was a mistake. We shouldn't go this direction in right. the future. They're going to be, what do we need to do? Do we need to roll it out in different phases and slower phases? What kind of Clearly. talking points do we need to have? Yep. Uh, it's That's what they're doing right now. Yes. They're going to just be regrouping IMF, Federal mm-hmm. Reserve, you know, uh, you know, all the, all the uh, central banks and, you know, how they partner together through Davos and uh, they're going to be talking like, okay, what do we need to do different? I just, it's sad to say, I think it's coming for sure. Oh, yeah. Uh, it seems inevitable. And yeah. it's going to have to have a large dose of force. Like you can see mm-hmm. in Nigeria, like uh, they're thinking, wow, this this could look bad if, you know, like the uh, the, the state employees are mm-hmm. so small compared to the regular people. Like the analogy of a dog can just scratch the flea off its back, you yeah. know, like the, the state is very small in numbers, very small in number of employees. And they don't like to see that violent uprising and revolt Mm -hmm. and i guarantee that's what they're talking about right now how to soothe the masses yeah sadly i I don't think you're wrong i do think that that violence will happen i don't think that it will be at least i hope it won't be in the form of like a violent uprising i think it's going to be more in like the the state is now a fish out of water because it knows it's on the decline it can't you know, it, it it's wearing its life vest. It can't keep going, so it's going to try and be violent to yep. get its way to stay alive. And I think I think you're right. I think people are going to die before all is said and done. I hope that that doesn't happen. I hope that we can evolve past this statist mindset that this is useful in some way. It's not right. All the evidence points to it. People just can't get their mind wrapped around it. They've been so inured by, you know, the propaganda, by the public schools, all that kind of thing, that they believe that this organization of violence is necessary. So I hope that it can be done peacefully. Well, well, in the, when the fiat money becomes less spendable, the first things the tyrants are going to do is make sure it's spendable for them. Like one of the Caesars, I think it was Julius Caesar, said, make sure the soldiers get paid. Right. You know, like mm-hmm. make sure uh, – that's the number one thing, you know, like to keep to to make sure you're secure, your position in the government. That was one of their whole reasons for having a state based coin in the first place was so that they could pay mm. the, the soldiers so they could yeah. go to war. Well, yeah. good news. Apparently, the Senate uh, and the House have agreed on a 45 day extension of the government shutdown that was supposed to start tomorrow. But that has been delayed. So they passed like some Damn sort it. of temporary. Uh, They're not going to shut down. Which means that they are not going to shut down I wish they would. Uh, tomorrow. Yeah. Well, of course, we all know that means they're not really shutting down. Just only so-called uh, non-essential government yeah, services. They're going to close would... parks again. Right, they're right. going to cut off some seniors' social security again. And... Although they were supposed to furlough the payments or halt uh, paychecks to the military, so to a good chunk of the military. That was one of the big... Yeah, they're going to halt a bunch of that Ukrainian money? Oh, no, not at all. That's that's really important and you know, money that needs to get to where it's going uh so we're out of time just about here for tonight david hathaway uh, you know do you have a website or anything like that you want to promote for for people out there no um you know i've i've written quite a bit on lourockwell.com and okay. scott horton's site the uh, libertarian institute nice um i don't mind if anybody sends me email i have a real easy email just sheriff david hathaway at gmail.com i always like to hear from people okay and you're doing a lot of interviews out there you said 20 interviews a week so probably they can look for your name and 
find some of that stuff, I imagine? Yeah. Um, a lot of different things where I've stood up against statism along the border, surveillance platforms and whatnot. So, yeah, you can go on YouTube, see TV interviews, or just, uh, you know, go see my names on different podcasts and stuff. Plug that book one more time, too, The Immigration Book. Yeah. The author, David Hathaway, you can find it on his Amazon. It's called Immigration. The subtitle is Individual versus National Borders. Thank you, David, for joining us here tonight. Thank you, Ian. Free Talk Live. We'll see you tomorrow online in the meantime at freetalklive.com. If you want to move to the free state and you're looking for some real estate, well, I know a guy who's really great. It's the Realtor Mark Warden. Now you can learn more about the awesome things happening here in New Hampshire in our march toward liberty in our lifetime. Our friends at Porcupine Real Estate are hosting a series of webinars to educate you on the expanded freedoms enjoyed by New Hampshire citizens. Reserve your seat today at move.freetalklive.com. Topics include gun freedom, medical freedom, and political freedom victories. They also have a couple on best practices for moving to the free state and finding housing. These webinars are super helpful and free to attend once you've registered at move.freetalklive.com. Visit their YouTube channel, Porcupine Real Estate, for videos from past presentations and sign up for upcoming webinars for free at move.freetalklive.com. Porcupineralestate.com